You are about to opt in to Mineratopia, a show for the Monero community where all are welcome to join. From noob to maxi, no matter what bags you hold. Just sit back and relax to the sweet sounds of Monero's latest progress. Or if you're feeling inspired, join us on stage. Remember, the only thing that can stop Monero is a false belief that it can be stopped. And if you want to win the revolution faster, we recommend you remove your XMR from all custodial exchanges immediately. Warning, boating accidents are common around here. Don't forget to properly secure your private keys. Monerotopia starts now. All right. Hello, hello. Hey, guys, if you're on Twitter Spaces, just give a, give a thumbs up if you could hear us. We're trying this again, guys. Last week was pretty successful. So <laughs> Decently successful. Decently. No, I'd say it was successful. I thought it was def- successful. Definitely, definitely. Got a lot of people uh, joining on. Guys, if you could hear us in the Twitter Spaces room, just yeah, let, let they're us telling know. us. Yeah. Our friend in the group. I'm looking in the spaces. I don't give, give a heart. Combat, give a heart. <laughs> Combat. Combat told me that sound, it sounds good on Twitter. All right. How's it going, my good friends? Good morning. Good morning. Happy Saturday. We got the game playing in the background. We do. I'm watching the games as I'm Sunita live on is air. a hardcore FIFA <laughs> soccer World Cup fan. Woohoo. Right? It's fun. Yes. I yeah. love it. I love watching it. I mean, I like it too, but. I love it. I'm always watching it on the go. Well, the games are like at wacky hours, but it's pretty cool. I'm not waking up for the 5 a.m. ones, guys, just in case. (laughs) The 8 one, you know, watch half of it because I'm more of a a soccer player than a A watcher. Yeah. Okay. Spectator. Okay. Well, that's good. I don't like cheering for grown men doing doing things. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. But then you (laughs) laugh. Yeah, I love it. That I love just it. sounds weird. <laughs> well, the whole watching sports things, like, like yeah, it, you're it's, not it's really a, a sports concept. guy. You're a Monero sports guy. Yeah, I'm a Monero fan. I cheer for Monero. twenty-four hours like a sports. day, seven like days sports, a week. But like to like adamant like watch sports on a continuous basis. Yeah, you don't do that but at all. But World Cup, World Cup, is World Cup fantastic. is fun. I haven't, I haven't really gotten into it yet. I'm getting there. I love it. Not it's fun. so fun. Once maybe once we get to the next round. I'll be, I'll be into it. Yeah. Well, right now, I mean, right now, France versus Denmark. Zero, zero, guys, for those interested in knowing the score. <laughs> you need to start a different podcast. <laughs> All right. So, but yeah, let's get going. Let's get so, going here. So, things we want to get out there. Yeah. Uh, Monero- Conference again. Monerotopia 2023. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, get them ASAP because the prices are going up. <laughs> yeah. We're pro- the only reason we didn't raise them yet is because. Boating is helping us out with the website, and he's busy right now. So, busy, so, well, so you know, we'll, yeah. pro- we'll probably raise them up on Monday. And it's it's not out of greed; it's out of you know wanting to use a carrot and a stick here. So we want to get people to uh, buy tickets sooner than later. So we're just going to slowly start raising prices to incentivize people to make their purchases now, because it becomes a lot easier for us once we know how many. Yeah. And then, yeah, the VIP dinners, you know, cause those are very limited more, guys. So yeah, more people are buying the VIP. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh. <laughs> we're, we're going to cap it at some point right now. It's okay. But you know. yeah, VIP is going to be awesome though. Yes. We're very we got, excited. We got a about good that. restaurant or we're looking at two different restaurants. Yes. Two different restaurants. They're both really cool looking. Both have a uh, delicious food. 
So it's, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out once. Yeah, we'll be at like a big long table, hopefully, right? Like a romantic dinner tables. with all the Monero fam. There. Be cool. In terms of speakers. Speakers, yeah, you want to talk about that? Yeah, so I've been, been ta- started talking to a bunch of people, those that we could say with confidence. Who do we got? Who we got? We got, we got Co. We got Co. Co's coming back. Coming back. He, he was, had a uh, good time last time. <laughs> I think he had a good time. I That's think he had a good time. time. Uh, for those of you that don't know Co, do some Googling, do some research. He's one of the, one of the devs for Monero. He's the guy working on Seraphit, the Seraphis implementation. He is, uh, a Monero brain. He's the best we got. So amazing that he'll be there. Uh, who else? Do we we have, have, uh, Luke Parker. Oh, Luke. I love Luke. my Luke. So we're excited about that. An- another big brain, and Luke. Uh, Luke uh, is going to be there as well. He was at the last Ma- Monero Topia, not as a speaker. Though. Not as a speaker, just... as, a, as a guest, and I yeah. think he had a blast. <laughs> so I don't know what he's going to talk about yet. He didn't. He didn't say. He's working on, you know, his decentral his his decks. What is it called? Oh my god, what's the uh, the name of it? Sarai. No, no. the the decks that. The de- oh, ah, uh, 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 forgot the name. He's... Somebody chime in. <laughs> but that's exciting that he's going to be there. And then also we're going to have Crypto Zoidberg, or we're thinking about that. Yeah, we're doing it. Take it back now. <laughs> we're going to have Crypto Zoidberg, guys. Now that, so, so far, we got three three huge heavy hitters, yeah. once smarter than the next, more like amazing. That's an amazing. So if, we, if we only had those three. Oh, he's watching Luke Rotsara. Yeah, I did yeah, say it right. Okay. You made me doubt myself. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I was like, Sarai. I think I was right. Which... Hi, Luke. So Sarai DX. There we go. Cryptozoidberg, guys. We had a, an amazing Monero talk show with him like over a year ago now. Yeah, that was a good a show. Ago? Yeah. Yeah. So he, he claims to be the guy who essentially wrote the original implementation of, uh, of CryptoNote, you know, the, 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 the first actual coded implementation of it, uh, which eventually became Monero. Uh, so he, he will be there. We're not sure what he's going to do a talk on. Obviously, I'd, maybe I'd like to put him on a panel too. I think he has some things he wants to share with the community, things he's been working on. But in addition to that, I'd like to maybe get him on a panel. Not sure what that panel will even be, but yeah, he's going to be there. He's going to be in attendance. He's uh, an historic figure in in Monero. And then we're going to have two workshop workshops. Yep. So far, we got two workshops workshops. going. We have Uh, Crypto Tweeties, (laughs) Chill, and uh, Deverick. Chill and Deverick yeah. have, have both dedicated to that. So they're going to be running, running those workshops. Running those workshops. Maybe. She helped me out last year or I keep saying last year, but it was actually earlier this year <laughs> in April at the oh, Monerotopia 22 conference. So that was very, very helpful. She was awesome. But now she's going to be, um, organizing a workshop in. Yeah. So we think we're going to have like three different workshops. It's going to be like a beginner level, an intermediate and an advanced. Yes. Um, the beginner is going to be really geared towards we're trying to get people, locals in the community to come out to the event as well. Uh, we're trying to use the venue. They have connections in the community because they do events there every weekend, uh, that are kind of community based events. So we're trying to use the, you know, their platform, uh, to get the word out to their people so we can have people from the community, from Mexico City, local to the area that will come 
and attend. Uh, it would essentially, we're going to, we're going to make it free for those people, for the locals. And then my hope is that us experienced people will be sharing knowledge with them, right? When they're there. So yes. they'll be able to come for free, hang out, uh, participate in the Monero marketplace where they can buy things with Monero. We'll onboard, we'll, we'll send them to the beginner workshop where they'll get onboarded to Monero. We'll have, you know, people there helping us onboard them. We'll set them up with, you know, a wallet, cake wallet, Monero.com, Monero, whatever it may be, get them up and running, uh, maybe send them whatever, five, ten dollars of Monero. We get a sponsor to do that and then they could, you know, maybe use their Monero. 20 minutes later. <laughs> 20 minutes. Yeah, the, you have to make the, that aware. What you Monero. do is like you send it to them and you have a, a full-blown conversation no, for 20 minutes and they'd be like, now you can go buy. But you don't tell them about it. We'll <laughs> so they don't feel disappointed. We'll figure that out. Uh, and uh, last but not least, we have um media partner, confirmed one. So we have Mark Falzone. We're excited that he's going to be present at the conference. Yes. He did a, a really good, uh I guess, documentary on our most our recent conference, which is really nice. So check that out if you haven't. So yeah, yeah if, I think that's, that's it for the I update. I mean, we're, we're talking it, yeah. to a lot of other people, speakers. If you're out there and you want to, you know, participate in any way, you want to be a speaker, you want to, I don't know, you want to be a vendor, you want to help out with the workshops. If, if you want to, you want to help us, <laughs> you want to help us, please just reach out, just reach out when at protonmail.com. Or if you so. have questions in general, like you want to go or you're unsure about something, or if you want to help us out, <laughs> email us. We'll, we'll make it work for you. But one thing I can say is just buy your tickets. That's, that really helps. Yeah. Buy your tickets ASAP. Reserve, Prices are going to go up. Reserve a hotel room. We are trying to work with this hotel. When we went down there, <laughs> we checked out three local hotels. Well, like one was kind of super sketchy. Yeah. Another one was medium. <laughs> one was actually really nice. It was nice, but weird. <laughs> nice, but weird. And then another one was like kind of perfect. Right? Yeah. But we're so trying we're giving to those options. Get them to like do a room block and they like are unfamiliar with the concept. Right. Yes. I don't. Yeah. And then they we have are. boating talk to them and they say they don't even allow you to reserve a room more than three, three days, days before you arrive. That makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> So don't, don't worry. There's plenty of other options. We just like that one because it was like really cheap, but also nice. Um, and then there's plenty of Airbnbs. So you could, you could, you know, quickly do your, it's in the Roma section of Mexico City. Uh, you could do some Googling. You quickly find on your own, but we will be adding soon some like resources there for people to, to book rooms. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of Airbnbs and then these hotels. So that's it. But yeah, I guess that's really it for. Our intro. Yeah, and you'd probably want to book your stay like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. Ideally. Yes, 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 ideally. Ideally. It's a nice long weekend in Mexico. Or even just, you don't even need a Thursday. We're showing up early. Well, we have to show up Thursday, obviously, because we're going to be running around like maniacs Friday like night, we did last yeah. time. So, All right. yeah, get your tickets today and uh, reach out if you have any suggestions on speakers or want to help us out or... Anything, just to say hello. We appreciate any emails you send. Monerotopia.protonmail.com. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess other than that, let's move on to the price report. you have anything else you'd oh, like and to if you share? Oh, and if you want to be a sponsor, reach out. Oh, if you want to be a sponsor, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Please reach out. Monerotopia at protonmail.com. <laughs> That's it. That's all it? That's all you got? That's all you got? All right. That's all she wrote. All right. So let's move on to the price segment. Let's do it. The Monerotopia Price Report segment is sponsored by Local Monero. Avoid using KYC exchanges. 
Buy and sell Monero directly for fiat, peer-to-peer. Aloha. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm quite well. How about yourself? Good, good. Thank you. Sounds like the um, the conference is coming along. Yes, Great it list is. Of speakers it is. already. It's gaining momentum. Yeah, it's gaining momentum. Crypto Zoidberg reached out to us. I know that's pretty awesome. awesome. Like, I had that in my I, right. You yeah, we had it on the okay. list. <laughs> One hell of a name. I hope he yeah, makes the noise. <laughs> He's an interesting character. Yeah. Slightly controversial. I don't know. There, there's, there was some controversy. Uh, did you watch that interview when we had him like a year and a half ago, two years ago? I guess not. I, I feel like I would have remembered the name Zoidberg. Uh, yeah, so I must have missed that one. Check that out. He claims to be in direct contact with uh, Nicholas Van Saberhagen. No kidding. That's yeah. cool. Not many people know Satoshi. <laughs> but yeah, I'd take it away on price. I think things things are looking good, right? In terms of at least Monero versus BTC. Yeah. Um so we've got all our Monero charts right up here. Uh I made a little change. Um I noticed on the YouTube stream that some of these lines don't come out as prominent, so I increased their thickness, so hopefully that that makes it easier to see. Um as always, starting with um Monero USD. Let me just uh, say so anybody that's listening on Twitter Spaces, if you actually want to see the charts, you just get, you know, watch it on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it might make more sense than just uh, hearing some guy rattle on about price charts worth a thousand words. <laughs> so, okay, um, here's our U.S. dollar price. We continue to recover from uh, from the big crash earlier this month. We've got kind of this channel going on here. I've noticed it's a little bit hard to um, to draw trend lines, you know, like, do you draw it there? Do you bring it down here? And Monero, for whatever reason, Monero tends to have a harder time. I have a much more difficult tra- uh, time drawing trend lines uh, on Monero than I do for other for other charts. But okay. Um, so, anyways, we're we're kind of like bouncing around in this channel. It's a bit of a rising wedge, which isn't necessarily the best sign, but it doesn't have to be a bad sign. So, yeah, the U.S. dollar prices is, is looking okay, but of course. Uh, Versus Bitcoin, you know, we're looking really good. What are we? That's the weekly chart. Yeah, so we continue to just continue going up. Uh, and this has been happening really all year long. The things that I, that I really wanted to point out today was, um, so right here, this line goes back to, um, even like, uh, 2014, some of the original price history from Monero. So getting above the 009 level is, is definitely going to present some resistance for us coming up. Uh, so people should be aware of that if they like to trade the ratio. Uh, you might, um, you might think about taking some profit around that area. But we still have, we still, uh, broke above. Let me go to the daily. So you can see here that we had this sort of rising resistance and we've pretty much broken above that. That's not to say that we couldn't fall back below it, but, um, at some point in the future, these lines are going to intersect. In fact, it might be better to redraw this line something like that at this point. Um, so it's kind of like we have this rising resistance line here that um, that uh, it's always good when you have to redraw lines um, higher. Usually when you start redrawing lines lower because price is breaking down, that's not a good thing, but it works the same on the reverse. So when you start breaking resistances to the upside and then you have to redraw them, uh, that's a good sign. That's that's kind of a place you prefer to be. And then, of course, we've got, uh, you know, we have all of this area right here that was significant for the ratio. So at some point, um, I do believe we'll break this 009 area. That's just what the fundamentals say. People are getting into Monero. We have 
Um, we have good price dynamics relative to most other coins. So eventually we'll break through this uh, and we'll be up here at the 011 level. Uh, probably that'll happen sometime next year. The current, uh, the current divergences don't look so bad, except for Poloniex has tended to be low for the past, I don't know, the past week. Um, so Poloniex in blue, you can see that their prices are somewhere around a quarter percent lower than Kraken's price. Um, and again, this is kind of an average, and these lines will change slightly depending on the timelines that you look. So I'm doing um I'm doing a moving average, right? That's the only way because the thing is on the second by second, um, you know, the five second charts, their prices are always oscillating. So you have to look at what is their average divergence um, over the course of many candles to really get a picture of what's happening. Um, and then, of course, we can make our volume adjustment. Again, this is important because it tells us how much real volume was done at these divergences. So, um, you know, you can see that Binance in red over the past week it has had these kind of these dips here um, where they're doing volume below cracking. So to me, that looks a little bit like some mild price suppression. But um, let's go to a longer time frame in terms of, of the big picture. That's they're really not um, that's really not so bad. Like, for example, this was when they shut down uh, withdrawals in August. Right. So they shut down withdrawals and then they diverge their prices lower. And that's kind of a double hit because you can't even get off. Like, let's suppose you got trapped in Binance and the price is being diverged lower than Kraken. Well, you don't want to sell on Binance now because their prices are lower. So it sort of encourage you, encourages you to just stay trapped in there. Uh, so it's kind of a dirty trick that they do. But overall, they've kind of been up. They've kind of been down. I mean, you can see clearly they've been down more than they've been up, which is not surprising. It, it does seem like they, they don't want Monero to um, to get relative attention. And then we've got um, the XMR dominance. So you can see that uh, this is where we all thought we were bottoming back at the beginning of the bear market, uh, bull market, sorry. And um, it's right where we came up and we're, we're still like, we still have a long ways to go. And, <clears throat> and the big thing is that, uh, you know, we're coming up on this resistance right here, this big resistance line. And it's hard to think that won't pose some challenges for us to get above. Uh, but ultimately, you know, the place that I really want to see us get back to is is that um, now it's a resistance line. But, you know, it was a support line for quite a long time. But, um, you know, with the crash of these tokens that really never probably should have been valued that highly in the first place, um, I do think there's a reasonable chance that Monero makes it back up there. Uh, the longs and the shorts remain um, uneventful. There's just nothing going on here. Uh, so the red being the Monero shorts, the green being the longs, and then the white being the net position. So we're still net short on Bitfinex just a little bit, but um, it's not it's not anything significant. You can see this is Monero compared to everything else, kind of kind of the same deal. Maybe we can look at uh, Stellar today. So apart from the big pump that we had on the original Monero bull market, we're basically sitting at we're we're pushing above these sort of lifetime. Chart versus chart, right? Uh, stellar versus Monero, horizontal areas of significance. Um, there's hardly any reason to think that Stellar will perform well. The only thing that it could get is if um, Ripple settles its case with the SEC. And at this point, I don't think it matters what the settlement is, unless the SEC is like, "Hey, you guys are done for. We're shutting you down forever," or like, "We're going to fine you." I don't know, fifty billion dollars or something ridiculous. Any settlement will end up being price positive for Ripple. So um, probably Stellar will get some bump from that. But the price action on Ripple has, for its entire lifetime, has been boring, nothing, stupid. And then, like, in the course of one week or two or three weeks, it'll pump. 
by like two, five, ten x out of nowhere, um, and then it'll just slowly bleed off. Ripple has almost never had like strong organic price movement to the upside. I've just never seen that in their chart. Whereas a coin like Monero, because we have organic price support and people actually use the coin, we do see these long time frames of um, steady organic price support. Now, here's a here's our look at all of the different coins relative to each other and how they've been doing. Let's go to a shorter time frame. You can see that Litecoin has outperformed everybody. I think this is related to um, to Dog, their merge mind. And, of course, when Elon bought uh, Twitter, you know, everyone's like, oh, Dogcoin, you're going to be able to pay for your $8 blue checkmark with, uh, with Dogcoins. So I think LTC gets a bit of a boost from that. I don't think necessarily that they have strong long-term potential. Although at the same time, I do have to admit that it does seem like people use them as a currency a little bit. So um, they do have that going for them. Uh, but I don't think it's necessarily as used as people would, as they would, as the true believers of Litecoin would have us believe. Um, so here's um, here's the overall picture of all the markets relative to each other. Um, we've got um, crypto has kind of been making a comeback, as you can see, in purple. Everything else has just been basically flat for, for most of this week. Yeah, everything is is uh, pretty flat. Um, the dollar is, is in green, and it's kind of trying to make a comeback, it looks like. But... This is also so when we talk about z-scores, given time, if your price doesn't move at all, your your z-score will naturally trend back to the center line to the zero point, even if price doesn't move. So some of this um, movement here on the dollar, that's not like price uh, price movement to the upside. That's just um, that's just how it works when you when you're talking about um, standard deviations and um, and moving averages, at least the way a z-score is. And, Maybe maybe one day we'll get into exactly what a z-score is, but it's it's a very useful metric. Um, but yeah, anyways, the short story on this is that not much has happened this week. It's been kind of a flat week overall for most things. So yeah, nothing nothing too exciting going on at the moment. So one thing that I really did want to share today is the yield curve inversion. So the United States government offers different treasuries, and sometimes they're called bonds, um, at different maturity lengths. So you can buy like a one-month bond, a, I don't know, a six-month bond, one year, two year, five year, 30 year. And the idea being that if you're going to lock up your money for longer, you expect to get a higher interest rate. So you expect that the 30 year should give you a higher interest rate, a higher yield than say the US one year bond. But what happens is we see yield curve inversion. So what, what happens is that we see yield curve inversion and these inversions are typically, to me, they're associated with, um, sort of market crashes or market pullbacks, recessions, they're typically associated. It's not a hundred percent. The thing that I, the thing that I've personally seen is that it's the, it's, it's the return to normal is where you typically see the crashes. So um, what you can see here is that the 30 years in purple and then kind of by color, it goes down on timeframes. So 30 year in purple, blue is 10 year, aqua would be the five year, the green is the two year, yellow is one year, and then the white line is the federal funds rate. So that's the overnight lending rate in between banks. Now, the thing that I I really wanted to show is that we are in a full, complete yield curve inversion, which I don't think that I've seen. I need to, I haven't really scrutinized the chart to see if this has happened any time before, but essentially the the lowest, um, the lowest maturity Yields, or sorry, the lowest maturity bonds are also yielding the highest, whereas um, the 10-year and the 30-year are yielding the lowest. So it's hard. I'm not an expert in this. It's hard to say exactly what this significa, signif, uh, 
is significant. But to me, it's it's a picture that um, things are kind of at their maximum distortion point. Like this really shouldn't happen. Uh, and it especially shouldn't happen to this uh, to this level. Now, one thing that I also do is I take all of these yields and I subtract each one from the other and then I average them out. And so it gives you an overall picture of how inverted the yield curve actually is. So this is kind of very long time frames here. We're on the weekly chart. And you can see that going back to uh, 1989, we had yield curve inversion there. This was the um, right here is the dot com yield curve inversion. This was the pre 2008 catastrophe yield curve inversion. And then we're sitting at levels that we haven't seen since um, since the dot com era. Now, the thing is, if you if you notice the date right here, this is 2000. Right. And then 2001 starts starts right around here. So you can see that the yield curve was correcting back to normal uh, before the stock market crash, because the, the real crash didn't happen until 2001. And then same thing here. You've got this yield curve inversion that continues for 2006, 2007, starts correcting to fair value. And then finally, 2008, after the yield curve corrected, you saw this big market crash. Now, the dynamics across all markets are significantly different than they were in previous decades simply because people understand now how important the Federal Reserve is. They understand that it's really monetary policy that's driving everything. So you see people, you see the markets move in advance in the expectation of what monetary monetary policy will be, as opposed to in the past where it used to move after they made the changes. So I'm not sure necessarily how predictive this is, but it certainly does represent that something something isn't quite right. Here's the zero point, and, uh, and essentially we're, we're well below zero. And again, that's because that's because all of the yields are basically inverted right now. Everything except for the 10-year and the 30-year. Um, so just know that that exists. If it if you find that interesting, I definitely recommend um, reading more about it. And if you have any ideas, shoot them my way because I'm still, you know, I, I I don't like fully understand the bond market, not as much as I would like to. And the thing is, it does drive most everything else. Um, we've got our overnight um, the repo agreements again. This is money that gets put with the Federal Reserve overnight. People get a small interest rate for that. It's institutional money, largely. Um, and we're looking at over $2 trillion. But like I said, the thing I want to see is uh, is I want to see this come down. We want to see this money getting reinvested into the stock market. So as of now, this is a good sign. This is the kind of... This is the kind of sign you want to see to expect that, hey, maybe some long-term reversal could be happening. So that's good to see uh, the reverse repos dropping. One thing that we didn't look at, we haven't looked at before, is oil. Um, so this is the price of crude oil, and we're kind of in this um, this broadening structure here. Now, it's good to keep seeing oil. We want to see oil down here. Really, we would prefer to see it break down below this line. It, I can't, it's hard to think that oil is really going to go back at like $50, right? Um, but we do, we do want to see oil continue to stay down here because if oil goes to the top side of this trend, that means inflation is going to go higher. That means the Fed has to keep raising rates. That, that's really not, that's not good for people that are in risk assets like stocks and crypto. And, uh, we've got the dollar here. So the thing I wanted to show with the Dixie, um, so I'm kind of setting up a thesis. There's there's a thesis that I have about what we can expect for price going into next year and probably for most of next year. So um, you can see that the dollar essentially hit these highs, started coming down. And right now, one thing that we're seeing is is divergence. We're seeing the Z scores, which is, again, kind of like RSI. There's this momentum divergence happening where we're getting higher lows on the Z scores. And then the dollar is getting just slightly lower lows. 
Um, so what this indicates to me is, is the potential for a reversal here. So the dollar topped out, you know, it really went higher than pretty much anyone expected. Um, there's only a few people that really thought we could make it that high. Now, typically on reversals, you don't just peak and then just reverse. Sometimes you do, but um, we should expect some kind of return to try and test like some level around here. It, it could be like a horizontal level right there. In fact, that would probably be the first place. Um, the first most likely place to, to look is to is to try and come up and then maybe hit this level here. So if that happens, you might expect a little bit of a pullback on the stock market and another pullback in crypto. We still have black swans in crypto. There's Genesis on the horizon that could be going bankrupt. Um, things just look shaky. Maybe um, maybe that was the bottom, right? It's hard to say, but I still didn't bite. I still want to see one more low. Maybe I'll get caught waiting too long if it's possible. And like I showed you last week, what we're seeing on stocks right here is divergence again. So with Z-scores, with RSI, we're seeing higher lows, right? We're seeing this start to go back up. Meanwhile, the the actual uh, price is making slightly lower lows. So my thesis then is that – oh, and then there's – sorry, there's one more thing here. Um, a couple more things that I, I may have missed. Bitcoin. Oh, I guess I didn't get that chart in here yet. Um, well, anyways, um, I'll just describe it to you. So let's go to a little bit of a longer term picture. This line right here is like the major, that's the major um, bear market resistance line for um, the NASDAQ. You're going to see something very similar in um, uh, on on the S&P. Yeah, this big line. This is essentially the, the bear market resistance line. You notice that um, we kind of have popped above it. So this is crypto. This is weekly total market cap. And this is kind of our our uh, bear market line here. Oh no! Sorry, I had this chart prepared, but I was switching all my charts over to um, having the lines be thicker so they're more prominent for YouTube since the resolution isn't great, and I'm not quite finished with that. So, anyways, you can see, um, you know, we kind of popped into this zone here. We caught, we came right back into this zone again and fell below it. So essentially, what's happening is crypto and stocks are coming up on very large sort of uh, macro bear market resistance. Um, and that's happening kind of right here. And that should be happening within the next like three to four weeks. And then the same thing is happening for stocks, right? We could, um, we could see the NASDAQ kind of come into this line here, maybe January. And then maybe during January, February, we see, see some kind of pullback and that could happen. You know, that could bring us down into these pre COVID highs, which has really been my target the whole time. Um, maybe it takes longer to get there. Maybe we never get there. I don't know. But my thesis right now is essentially that we should see mildly positive action for the next few weeks. Um, Monero, crypto, stocks, everything looks like it kind of wants to keep going up. Um, we're going to hit up, we're, we're going to end up hitting into this resistance and that could, that could act as a temporary stop for us going any higher, take a pullback and then sometime maybe, um, maybe March, maybe the end of February, maybe April. But at some point next year, after that pullback is over, I think we're going to end up breaking through these resistances. Maybe we'll hit some of these targets. We should end up completing this um, this momentum divergence that, that I've been telling you guys about. The idea being that, you know, we'll see prices um, kind of hit this again as we bottom out. And then that would be that would set us up for like a broad move to the upside next year for at least like maybe three, five six, seven months next year. Um, but I, so I think, temp, so to be clear, short term, I think we have mild positive action going forward um, into the new year. At some point, late December, January, pullback, 
And then after that pullback is over, I think that we'll actually break a lot of these bear market resistances. Um, and people will start singing about how we're in a new bull market. That probably won't be the case, but it could be the end of the bear market. That could be like the bottoming signal. And, you know, people, I, I hear a lot of talk about like black swans and all these terrible things and the stock market's going to crash, but I don't see any major black swans for the stock market. We have the, we have the bond market. They managed to get yields up by some miracle with, without crashing the market. So I mean, okay, we're down like 20, 30% on stocks, but that's really not so bad. And they managed to bring rates off of a floor of basically zero. But, you know, 2000, we had the incredible dot-com explosion. 2008, we had a hyper-financialization of the entire economy. Uh, and then that leverage had to unwind. But we don't, I don't really see the same kind of problem here um, in the broader macro sense. So I, I'm starting to think that we maybe we don't have a big, long stock market crash. Perhaps we could be flat for another year, for another two years. That's possible. But anyway, so I, I think the... The, the general outlook is, um, is, is pretty okay. Like it's, it's probably not a bad time to rebuy here or at least to rebuy a little bit. So, um, that would be where I see the markets right now. Anybody, any questions? I'm good. Uh, I don't know if people have questions <laughs> in, the, in the audience. It'd be hard to take them from the Twitter, right? So right now we got 24 people watching on YouTube and then we have like another 10 people on Twitter. So yeah, people that are watching on YouTube, uh, try to log into the Twitter space too. So we bring more attention there. Buddy. Well, cool. That was awesome, man. I don't know if you want to stick around to jump into the Twitter space or whatever you got to do. Bring, yeah. Bring- yeah. I would very much like to hang out on Twitter. Yeah. Pe- people are loving these, man. People are loving them. Well, it was good times. I, uh, I always enjoy giving you guys price updates. Um, <laughs> I'm a, uh, just get, get see, me up uh, to that 0.02, uh, XMR to BTC by Monerotopia. That's, 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 oh man. I'll do my best. Uh, let me let me start putting out some more propaganda. I'll quit talking negative on the market. It's all positive from here on out. Make it happen. We we, we need Snowden, you know, uh, shilling Monero, and then maybe we'll get there. Maybe um, I don't know. Maybe we could do a, a CSS or something. You know. <laughs> Actually, Vic uh, tweeted he would uh, donate five thousand dollars to a charity of Snowden's choice if he comes on and does a Monero talk. Oh wow, that's pretty yeah, cool. That was pretty good. Yeah. All right, Bobby. Well, I think Sunita reminded me to um to sign off with uh uh follow <laughs> follow us on Twitter, um, <laughs> YouTube. I just made a Twitter. I'm Bowdy Anarchist at Bowdy Anarchist underscore. It's important. The underscore is important. Uh, or screen title Monegro. Bowdy Anarchist on Reddit. So, thanks, guys. Thank you. Awesome. Bobby. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. All righty. All right. All righty. So are we going to try to move over to Twitter for the news? Yeah, I guess. If is you t- want to do that. down for that? I think. Uh, or Tony, you want to just. Well, hold on. Me. We got to do our little, uh, a little uh, intro for the news. And now for our weekly news segment. Tony. Hello, Tony. How's it going? <laughs> so much better Tony. than Twitter, though. We get to see yeah. be- beautiful Tony. <laughs> this beautiful smile. Look, look his hair. Healthy. Look at you shining. <laughs> like the, the youngest guy in, in Twitter. I mean, in uh, in Venera. Wait, one second. Sorry, because I'm kind of. Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, uh, technical difficulties. Yeah, I have like three different screens. Wait, sorry, I couldn't pay attention to what he said. It's a little abstract here, trying to do it Streamyard and Twitter at the same time. 
Yeah. So the thing is, because I already have all the links in the correct order. Just, just do it on StreamYard. Yeah, just yeah, do it. Yeah. yeah. But, but you, yeah. whatever you got going on there. I hear, yeah, I hear, we I hear. hear ourselves over yeah. there for okay. some reason. So. Yeah, let's let's do it. Wait, then let and me. Then we'll, we'll move over to Twitter for the for the special guest. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, let's do. Wait, sorry, guys. Give me one second. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we had Alexander, and then she. Just yeah, no, she keeps shutting in and out. She's saying actually, she's having issues. So okay. I'll, I'll deal Tell with it. Tell her to go into the, the space. Tell her to go into the Twitter space. Yeah. And to oh. listen there, and then we'll uh, we'll move over there. Okay. Be our, one of our special okay. guests. Okay, sounds like a plan. Okay, guys, so... Your screen? Yes, the way this is going to work out is uh, we're going to try something different. So I'm going to share my screen, and we're going to go over the news, and then I'm going to... And I'm going to drop the link in on Twitter Spaces, and you guys can follow along. And if you have anything to add or anything to say, then we can interact together for the news. So we're going to try this out and see how it goes. Yeah, the um, only thing is, though, I don't think we'll be able to interact with the Twitter space as you're doing the news, right? Because of the way we got it. We can. That's why I have the earpiece. So I'm going to do it through here. And I'm low volume on Twitter spaces for that. So <laughs> <laughs> hear... Multitasking, multitasking. The anchor, the anchor. I'm paying attention to Twitter spaces, to YouTube, and I see that. Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere, so... Let's get into a disaster in the making. No, right, I don't know. I have faith. I have faith in us. We did it last week. We'll do it again. Go, Tony. Go, Tony. Okay, let's get into it. Um, Share your screen. There you go. Okay, perfect. So, first of all, for the people watching on Twitter Spaces, you might want to join us on YouTube so that you can actually see the news um, as well and not just but if not, of course, that's you can send to our spaces and just um, listen. So let's talk about, and let me actually share the first, or I'm I'm probably just gonna share the actual um, articles, not like memes and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. Easier. articles on Twitter. So let's do that. Um, the first thing that I have found it humorous. So it's a meme, and it says. Stoshi builds Bitcoin to eliminate the need for trusted thir- third parties. Humans gives Bitcoin to trusted third parties. Trusted third parties steals Bitcoin. Humans <laughs> shot. <laughs> Which I thought it was, uh, I thought it was funny. Yeah, it, it's interesting to see the human nature. Like we build something so that was supposed to be honest and supposed to liberate people. And then some came along and put a cage around it and try to sway it into a different direction. So we, we towards was... centralizations. So it's human nature. <laughs> yes, essentially. Yeah. People want to capitalize on power and we see that in crypto and, and everywhere. Now let's talk about uh, a website called Dead Cater, which is re- redacted backwards. They wrote an article on Monero, the anonymous bank account. And I'm not sure exactly what this site is about because it looks like a hacker's forum website for, let's, let's actually see. Hold on. I'm click, click on, on the link. They offer all kinds of services, self-defense, criminology, decision-making. So I'm not sure what this is about, but they made an article on Monero and why you should use Monero. And that's what matters. That is being appreciated. <laughs> So I just wanted to touch on that. 
Now let's talk about FTX and I'm just going to share three things. We're not going to go into details on it because we've already talked about it and there's just so much that we could talk about and there's better people to explain than me, but just how the media portrays FTX and Sam. So WSJ markets tweeted when Sam Bankman frees crypto empire went down in flames. So did his plans to save the world, which just shows how they make it seem like he's a hero and it wasn't as bad. And oh wow, that was the that was uh, that was what the Wall Street Journal said. Yeah, allegedly. And then Uri said they can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I think he's he he's supposed to be scheduled to be doing a live talk for the New York Times, right? He's on a. Mm-hmm. A panel, I think this week. Yeah, I've seen that. He's going to be on a panel allegedly with uh, Mark Zuckerberg and all kinds of people. <laughs> so should be interesting. That's <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's entertaining. It's highly entertaining. I mean, this is why you, you can't blame the you know the the media for doing this, right? It's, it's highly uh-huh. entertaining, but it, it's pretty scary that they're kind of giving this guy a second chance, putting him up on a pedestal almost. Yeah, and just kind of, it just shows that these news outlets have ties, uh, have political ties, you know? Oh, yeah. Why would they? Clearer than ever. Yeah, it's very clear. And then I want to share two more things on FTX. This was very, very funny, actually. The Wall Street Journal profiled FTX customers who might lose their deposits and led with a 25-year-old facing the loss of $800. Now, $800 is not a lot of money in the U.S. If you're in Africa or some other countries, yeah, that, that is actually a lot of money that someone might have lost. But I assume this individual is from the United States. So it's not a lot of money, and they just make it seem like, oh, people just lost like $800, under $1,000, not much. But the reality is that people lost even millions of dollars because they had a lot of money on FTX. So... The title says, FTX crypto customers worry they will never see their money again. My blood is boiling. Some were optimistic a week ago. Now they're increasingly losing hope. And moving to the next image, Drake Lyle, 25, has about $800 stock at cryptocurrency company FTX. (laughs) Yeah, he's one of of the lucky ones, right? I mean, geez, 800 bucks. Like you said, people lost millions. People lost their entire life savings. I mean, 800 could be somebody's life savings, but there's people that, that lost many zeros worth of, uh, of crypto on FTX. Indeed. Oh, we have, uh, we have Trav. Hey, Trav from uh, the conference. He's live on YouTube. Hey, man. I hope all is good. And then we have Nightmare that he said that I'm so unprepared. Man. I defended you. I said Kick you're always prepared. Kick him out. Kick this guy out. <laughs> Ban him. Bye. Bye, Nightmare. Hey, Trav. Uh, moving on, we have another humorous image. Uh, someone photoshopped the Wall Street Journal um, article on Sam, and they made him super jacked, and they changed the title into Sam Bankman Freed is super jacked and handsome. The FTX founder is super hot. He's amazing, and we love him so much. Oh, my much. God. <laughs> Uh, just to of course portray how ridiculous the media um, shows them to be and how much they undermine the situation so 
It's 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 fine. It's humorous, but that's enough on FTX. We should move on. <laughs> and uh, I'm actually going to share this one on Twitter Spaces because maybe some people want to to add stuff on it. We're t- we're gonna talk about Jesse Powell, the I think now ex CEO of uh, Kraken. Yeah, you want to see him anymore? We got to get him to do a, a Monero talk or a Spaces or something. Him and Kim.com. Yeah, we're trying to get Kim in this room now. I, I've been DMing him and. Even slightly so. Like every two seconds. Come on! <laughs> I think I scared him away. I mean, he must get, he leaves his DMs open, so he must get like a, a hundred thousand DMs. Oh my god. Uh, but maybe we'll get his attention. Maybe we'll get his attention. Maybe we'll see the room. Yeah, hopefully, at least, at least one day. Um, so guys, if you look on, if you're on Twitter Spaces, I shared the link right now so you can look on it as uh, we're discussing it. And if you have anything to say in Twitter Spaces or anything at all, you can hop on stage and we can talk about it. So, Tony, I think I think at this point, if we just move over to Twitter, why don't we just move over to Twitter Spaces, you know, like we did last time? Because then that way it'll be easier for people to participate with you with, with the news. Like that. Yeah, or should I? Okay. And then you can play the the videos for me because I have a couple of ones that I want to share. Yeah, I mean that's. There, yeah. Or should we do that first? Like, should should I think we should go over the video formats first, and then I'm going to get off here and go on Twitter Spaces for yeah, the let's do that. Yeah. Okay, so let me see what I have when it comes to videos. Yeah, let's let's do that. <laughs> yeah, so Elon I found. At the, at the much thing, and there's an entire, entire closet full of, of hashtag woke t-shirts. Here we are. Uh, so, for the people listening, um, Elon Musk found hashtag stay woke uh, t-shirts in, in Twitter headquarters, and he found, like, a lot of them, like, a whole closet full of them, um, which is disturbing to see. <laughs> And I had a couple more things on it as well. We'll discuss it in a bit. Then I want to show you this little clip. This is from, oops, uh, the Zengzu iPhone factory because, uh, the people are revolting. Essentially, I think they were, um, promised some money, which is probably not a lot anyway. And then they weren't paid and plus some things with, uh, COVID. So, they're just um, protesting right now. So for the people watching, uh, listening, um, I've, sh- I've shown a video of um, a bunch of not just people in hazmat suits and uh, shields trying to um, attack the people working in the iPhone factory, and the people from the iPhone factory are fighting back against it. So it's um, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And I think they are the or the second largest um, iPhone 14 producer producers in the world. I used to see the people rising up. The only thing is when, when they rise up in China, I mean, it's, uh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Now I'm kind of confused. You know what? I think maybe we should, I, I'm just going to go into our spaces because 
Yeah, move over to Twitter Spaces, Tony. Yeah, it just makes it a lot harder because then I yeah let's I'm gonna move on Twitter Spaces, guys, and then um you know Sunita's going to Nightmare's laughing laughing his ass off. This right is now. our first time, guys. <laughs> yeah, so... sorry, guys. It, it's it's a bit it's it's a bit too uh, confusing. If so you I'll love just... us, you stick through it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we'll send go... me the links one by one. I guess as you're talking, you put them, and then I'll post it accordingly. Yeah, I love okay, that. Tony. Yeah, just yeah. go strictly on Twitter Spaces. Yeah, then we're gonna we're gonna stream it here. Those that are listening on YouTube, uh, you could stay here and you'll be able to hear it. But if you and want, jump, gonna... jump in the jump in the Twitter Spaces so you can participate. Okay. Um. So I sent you the the link on Kraken. So if you can open that up for YouTube, well, let, let's uh, talk about it. So then again, again, guys, if you have anything to say, please do hop on and let's discuss it. But uh, Kraken CEO calls Binance proof of reserves pointless. Uh, Binance released its proof of reserves PR system, which is the next step in the effort to provide transparency on user funds in their eyes. Kraken CEO Jesse Powell takes aim at Binance's recently launched proof of reserves by calling it to be pointless. I'm sorry, but no, this is not proof of reserves. This is either ignorance or intentional misrepresentation. The Merkle tree is just hand-wavy bullshit without an auditor to make sure you didn't include accounts with negative balances. The statement of assets is pointless without liabilities. He also added that Binance is misleading consumers. This is simply, this is simply, here's a hash of your record in the Bitcoin spreadsheet. Okay, but what's the point? The whole point of this is to understand whether an exchange has more crypto in its custody than it owes to clients. Putting a hash on a row ID is worthless without everything else. People who ought to know better, journalists especially, should take the time to understand this before overselling it and misleading um, consumers. And yeah, so so this is an interesting take from Jesse Powell, and he's always had truthful takes on on events, which I really do appreciate uh, coming from his position as well. So yeah, if anybody wants to additionally comment comment on this, please uh, hop on 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 stage. Binance is constantly. Suspending withdrawals from an arrow and then turning it back on again. So, for sure, then they're not they're not showing the the true amount that they have they have on. Um, oh, we got Alex uh, Demsker. Go ahead. Hey, so this was your first time using <clears throat> Streamyard. I'm shocked. I had no idea. You could not tell. It was very well covered. Uh-huh. <laughs> Alex, thanks for uh, jumping up. I, I had heard you recently in some spaces last week. You were kind of you were giving the updates on, on regulation. I know you're 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 an expert in that area. So thanks for joining us today. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, if you have any comments on this story, otherwise, uh, you know, we could then talk to you in general about uh, your, your thoughts on regulation. I do. I do. And I appreciate the the stage for this. This is <laughs> so um, this is a very typical, in my opinion, CZ move. We have a lot of people who are very like pro CZ. And then there are people who are like anti sex or whatever. Like, honestly, it, I think that the alliances at, at this rate are that like, it's pointless. We, we just need to support good actors and kick out bad actors. That's it. Like, we're too small to afford factions. We, we have to grow more before we can do that. So the first thing is we really need to stop, like, 
um, attacking one another on the basis of whether or not you support a particular person or, or a particular project or whatever. It's really just about like anything that's good should stay. Anything that's bad should go, period. With this proof of reserves, I said the same thing. This is re- it's I mean, it is it is useful to the extent that it proves what are called the leaves, the leaf nodes. Right. So what the Merkle tree proof does is show that uh, customer accounts are where they're supposed to be. So uh, more than anything else, it just shows that they're not involved in the root tree transaction. So if you think about a Merkle tree, um, it's not really a tree, right? It's just a set of of processed transactions, hashed and encrypted transactions. So what it's supposed to show really um, in this proof of reserves is that of all the transactions that make up the root of the tree, the leaves, which are the customer accounts that are custodial, but don't get investment, right? Those should be um, untouched. And that's what it's supposed to, that's what he was trying to show. Now, does it show his overall financial position? Not even a little. We have no idea. Does it show whether or not um, those are all of the customer accounts? No. Does it show um, if any of the the accounts uh, previously have been used in um, in any type of transaction where they've been misappropriated or anything like that? Um, it doesn't look like it, but we have to do a better examination on it. So uh, what we really need to show is, okay, he was literally just showing the separation between the reserves and the rest of the transactions. But he was not showing his financial picture, which is what Kraken wanted. Um, so kind of they're both right. <laughs> you know, like uh, like on one hand, he did do what he was asked. But on the other hand, he didn't do anything that made us understand that there was no risk to those custodial um, accounts because the risk to custodial accounts happens if there is no um if there's not solvency, if they become insolvent, right, if their liabilities so greatly exceed their assets that there's no way for them to pay off their debts or whatever liabilities they have, then it doesn't matter if there's a separation because all of those assets then end up falling to um, the to Binance, to the company, and they get to use them to pay off their creditors. So it's half of the story. And and it, it was what he promised. But was it enough? Not, not really. So that's it. Awesome. Great comment. Tony, can you pin, can you pin these stories, uh, as we, as we go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I've been trying to do right now. Let me see. Th- thank you, Alex, by the way. Thank you. Uh, that's a very good take upon, on this article. Um, yeah, let, let me, I've never actually pinned anything. So how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, really? How do you pin? I don't know. You, uh, you, you post it as a comment. So go to, you know, okay. go to the comments and then you should be able to, you're a co-host, so you should be able to then select it and pin it. Oh, like you post it like with uh-huh. that, with like the three, yeah. the purple thing. And then yeah, you know, go into, go into the comments section and, you know, yeah. post, post it there. Oh, I see you have it there. And then you should be able to, um, you hit that share button and then on the top, that top option. Got it. Uh-huh. All right. Yep. All right. Welcome to the most process-heavy podcast uh, <laughs> right now. Learn how to use Twitter at the same time as yeah. you learn about crypto. This is, this is how we do it over here. I mean, so we, we, typically, we typically just do these shows on YouTube, and then we experimented with streaming them on Twitter spaces at the same time. So 
yeah, you're, you're watching the sausage get made, so to speak. Uh, but we're getting smoother, believe it or not. I see uh, we got Eric trying to talk over here. Yeah, hello, man. everybody. Um, I wanted to uh, talk um, about uh, something. Um, there was um, a guy, uh, I, I forgot uh, how many uh, years old uh, he had, but uh, in Bahamas, he got uh, six months uh, in prison because he stolen uh, one Bahamas dollar. It's uh, worth... Um, yeah, 30 cents. <laughs> and uh, at the same time, uh, we see, uh, we see uh, SBF um, now in jail, uh, totally free, because uh, he has uh, stolen uh, 10 billion. It's uh, fucking crazy uh, to see. Uh, for the local um, tree, uh, I wanted to see um, it's not a solution, because you always need to uh, trust uh, the auditor, uh, the guy uh, that will... Uh, that will um, give you the uh, the Merkel tree and uh, it's um yes it it takes uh, too many uh, energy uh, to uh, verify uh, your uh, UGXO is still uh, in the um, Merkel tree uh, you could uh, simply um remember your uh, your your um, 24 words and uh, have your wallet and uh, <laughs> you are not uh, panicked about uh, yeah, um, empty reserve, etc. in banks. And um, mm-hmm. the last uh, time I was here, I was here, I was making a, a directory. Uh, I updated, I updated uh, it because uh, I had a few problems. And uh, now um, I made um, a section of sections, and uh, we have uh, you have uh, hyperlinks where you can uh, click on to have uh, the section you want. So uh, if you have uh, a mining section, you click on the mining section and uh, he will uh, give you uh, the tools, etc. So I make it uh, more ergonomic. Okay, Eric, we losing? Eric, you could post the in the in the chat area. Post the link to the directory you're working on. We could pin that too at some point. Get that up there so people can see what you're talking about. Yeah, I done it. You just did it. All right. Yeah, we'll 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 pin it. Okay, beautiful. I think, thank you guys for your take. I think we should uh, move on to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, Mark Moss finally mentioning Monero. He made a couple of videos on uh, on Bitcoin and he never mentioned Monero, but this time he did actually. And um, we are sharing a link to it right now. Give me one second. I'm just going to watch that as well. Where is it? Yep, it's over here. Okay, and I put it on Twitter Spaces as well. So you can, I think it's successfully sent. Should at least. Um, so you can check it out and, and, and see the video for yourself. But um, he talks about how all the other cryptocurrencies um are centralized in some way or they have some form of CEO and then he talked about Bitcoin and how it doesn't have a CEO, um, no pre-mine or things like that. And then he mentioned that, oh, there's other ones as well. I think like three more and one, one of them being Monero. <laughs> so it's, um, it's pleasant to, to see him, um, mention Monero finally. So yeah, but I think, uh, a week ago, a week before he had 
also mentioned Monero in the, or meant, talked about this topic, right? And then in talking about it, he talked about Bitcoin being the only crypto that was kind of, uh, you know, started without any, without any known, known founders or group, you know, immaculately conceived. And then he was corrected by the Monero community. So it's nice to see that he's actually, uh, now referencing it in his most recent talks. Mm-hmm. Good to see. I think we're seeing that all around, right? We're seeing a lot more people publicly that were maybe uh, not mentioning Monero at times when it would make sense to mention it, to finally mention it. We're, people, we're seeing people talk about Monero in a more positive light. Uh, so it's it's a nice trend to see. Mm-hmm. And it's very good that you mentioned that, actually. I'm going to share one thing right now, and then I'll actually um, speak towards uh, Snowden talking about Monero. Positively this time, <laughs> not negatively like in the past. Um, so I'm going to share the next link. You can watch that on your own. It's basically a uh, music video shared by uh, Monerelty on uh, Monero. It's um, pretty interesting. It's pretty catchy. It's been stuck in my in my head for a long time now. So if you want to check it out, it's in Twitter Spaces, and uh, we're gonna share it everywhere. Now let's, let's move on actually to, since we mentioned uh, more people talking about Monero, I'm going to jump through the other stuff that I have and I'm going straight to Snowden. So I'm going to grab the link right now so I can share it with you and then we'll, we'll discuss it. So give me one second. Um, if anybody, if anybody wants to say anything, please hop on. Here's the link to. Uh, Snowden, some time ago, talking about, um. Tony, you gotta pin, you gotta pin them so people could see it. Yeah. Gotta do it right now. Alex, why, why we, why we're waiting for Tony to sort that out. Um, what, what's your take on Monero? So, I, I've heard you talking about, you know, regulation and other spaces. Do you have a, a particular opinion on Monero itself? Um. No, I mean, I met one of the founders years ago uh, when um, when I was so I've been in the space since 2016 and I was at a conference around that time, I think, with with uh, one of the founders. And like it was a major conference and there were like 200 people. <laughs> that's, like how, that's how much crypto has changed in the time that I've been in it. Like it was like the audience is so huge. Oh, my God, we're really growing. <laughs> I mean, now it's like, you know, like conferences for those who don't know have ever been to one. It's like, you know, 20, 50, 80,000 people are there. So it's a very, very different environment than, um, than it used to be. But at the time, um, you know, when I met him and he was his primary concern, um, as I recall, was always just making sure transactions stayed private. He didn't think anonymity was sufficient. And privacy was the only thing that people could really rely on to make sure that their transactions were never censored, which I thought was a very interesting take. Um, and so, you know, there were at the time, there were a number of different options for um, for anonymous, uh, you know, currencies of some sort. And um, and the you know, I was asking him, like, well, what about like tax issues? Like, do you do you do people who use Monero? Um, seek to evade tax for anything. And he's like, you know, it's reportable if you want, but you know, I can't control if they, if they, you know, 
do tax if they pay their taxes or not. And so over time, what we've seen is that the tax issue is not really something that is limited to the, uh, you know, to something that's like, like Monero to, um, a, uh, you know, transaction distinct, um, uh, currency. Tax is a big issue for everyone. So, uh, I think that then the issue that what originally the issue was people are going to use these to evade taxes, but the truth is like everybody tries to evade taxes. So it isn't really money specific. That's not better. That's just the way it is, right? It's not. It's just everybody seems to be having this problem, which I wish we didn't, but is something that does specifically impact, you know, the industry. So then the next question is, was Monero's primary use case for illegal Silk Road type transactions? And it isn't. So um, Zcash actually tends to be more used for that. So um which is very interesting. Why is there a difference? I don't know. If anybody does, I would love to know. Um, but so I don't, I mean, I don't really have personal feelings one way or the other. You can hear my kids. Sorry. Um, I don't really have personal feelings one way or the other about particular, like about most projects. I'm very much sort of agnostic in that everything has good and bad. As long as we disclose what those are, that people can make more informed decisions. I don't ever tell people what to invest in or whatever, just how to understand where the risk is and, and adjust for it. So, um, I so, have a question I mean, I, about this, uh, thing. Uh, I wanted to ask, like, how is it with the risk, like compared to uh, between Zcash, for example, and Monero, if you are like a merchant and you want to accept Monero, for example, or you want to accept Zcash, how much liability do you have uh, with, um, uh, having to check where the funds came from. Like, uh, if they came from a wallet, it was sanctioned or this kind of stuff. Because I, I read this report by the Brookings Institution and they had some uh, information on this and they said that this, these kind of privacy-preserving aspects uh, help with uh, this kind of liability. So because it's private, you don't need to uh, check where um, where the money came from. But I, I'm, I'm wondering about the difference between Zcash and Monero in this case, because I mean, with Zcash, you still have some of the transactions that are not private. So maybe there's some uh, risk there. Yeah, that's uh, what I would like to know about more. So there's like kind of a mixed, um, there's a, a, like, here's the regulatory, uh, like a very narrow, road that has to be trod on, right? So technically privacy coins are not illegal, but privacy tumblers are. So the technique that you use to gain privacy matters, right? So if you're using something like a zero knowledge proof, then um, your ability to maintain legality in the transaction is much higher. The problem with using something that is, is if it was fundamentally illegal, um, the problem is that becomes, you know, fruits of the crime. And so they could basically seize a bunch of your assets if you are um, a merchant or, or anybody. Right. If you're it, like it's like, um, you know, if you 
uh, sell drugs. And then with the money that you make, you buy a car, they could take the drugs and the car and anything else you bought with drug money. Right. So um, you have to be very careful in what particular um, coin you are accepting and making sure that um, the the biggest issue is going to be anything that deals with banks because banks have the KYC AML rules. And that is actually something if we talk about uh, where regulation is going. So would you say, for example, um, with the Zcash, uh, like because Zcash, you, you have the transparent addresses and the, the shielded addresses. And would you say that transferring from uh, uh, like a transparent address to a shielded address is like mixing? Like this is the, the core question here. Because, uh, I mean, the thing that I think is Monero is really, really like a unique, uh, a unique, uh, technology is that it's, uh, it has fungibility on the base layer and it has privacy on the base layer. So you don't have this mixing step. And it seems like only the mixing step would be considered uh, problematic. While, uh, if you have something like Monero where everything's private, it shouldn't be a problem. So I guess yes and no, right? Um, I wish I had clearer answers, but so none of this has actually been like, you know, adjudicated or, um, or there's nothing formal that's ever been done or written that says this is okay and this is not okay. So here's what we can take from this. The, the mixing, um, the separation of transactions from, uh, from, uh, wallets, right? So that secondary hashing, any, tri any system that uses that tends to be problematic. And we're falling into the tornado cash area with that, right? So when we're talking about using, um, any sort of mixing technique, um, that is, that's problematic. Now here, I think Zcash has a little advantage and a little disadvantage, right? So I think Zcash is a fork of Bitcoin and you can make it non-anonymous. So the fact that you can make it non-anonymous, I think will help it. I think that this is true. I'm not going to claim to be an expert in the, in the privacy court. But I mean, isn't it, but, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it legally, yeah, it would legally hurt it. Well, no, no, if it's uh, no, no, if you make it non-anonymous, you're okay. But then, but now, now you're taking the, the action of, of opting of, in and of out. Doing that. So if you make it private, you're in more trouble. Right. So so the Zcash, the non-private version of the Zcash seems fine. But the fact that you can then mix it makes it problematic for anybody who uses it anonymously. Now, Monero is a whole separate network. Um, and as far as I'm aware, it's not about the mixing. Right. That happened that that separates it. It's the way the network actually functions that preserves the anonymity. So I think that this is actually uh, going to be interpreted as not something that people are doing to like, because of the way that they've, the language that they've used, right? The mixing seems to be something that people choose in order to conduct illegal activities. That is like a government position, right? That's what, that's from what we're getting. That's what we're saying that it's only people who want to commit crimes that opt for this second mixing. So this is why Zcash to me, uh, seems more problematic, but, um, but for, um, for if there is some ruling that happens where they say the mere act 
of uh, of anonymity, of creating anonymity, um, is a problem, well, then the entire industry is in trouble, right? Because the fact that we use, um, you know, those alphanumeric uh, wallets in transactions is actually something that you could say encourages anonymity, right? It's something that creates a sense of anonymity in transactions. So it's kind of all or nothing the way that this is shaping out is that either it's not okay to do it. uh, It's not, it's okay to have anonymity as long as your anonymity isn't something that is being purposely created. I don't know. Maybe it is anonymity is okay as long as the anonymity is a knowable unknown. That's kind of where I think the law is going to go. I have a question for you. Sorry to interrupt. So um, one of the things that I've I've heard that seems to be the case with some of the publications that were made by OFAC, for example, was that, um, yeah, it was the specific decision to mix your coin. And one thing that I noticed, particularly with Tornado Cash, was that um, you're putting your coins to the same address as everyone else. And you can transparently see that there are these nefarious entities um, all contributing to the same. They actually call them accounts on Ethereum, right? Um, you're all contributing uh, pooled funds to a common account, and you know for sure that those people are nefarious entities that obtain their coin from somewhere bad. So my theory was kind of that, well, it perhaps they're less attacking privacy, and they're more so attacking the fact that you're opting to mix your coin with nefarious entities. Like, you can have privacy, but you're not allowed to get privacy by helping other people mask their crimes in the process, which I thought was a very different thing from Monero because – you're never actually mixing your funds with anyone. Sure, you take decoy addresses um, and you use those decoys to obfuscate what your real output was, but you're never actually mixing your funds. Do you think that um, that, that could play a legal role? I, I had the theory that that was important, but um, what do you think? No, I think I think you're actually um, – okay, <clears throat> my version of this is I think that that is probably right. Um, and it's going to be more important um, in the future as we move towards more of an AML approach, right? So remember, all of the red regulations are shifting right now. All of the, the systems that we have, these form-based, is it a currency, whatever, all of that, uh, currency versus security, whatever it is, um, all of that is shifting into this very risk-based approach. So if we just start looking at it from that risk-based approach, um, for sure, um, if you lend yourself as a tool for laundering, even if you are not actually committing a crime, yes, that is problematic. Um, is it the fact that they're using anonymous accounts? Whether like there's, I haven't seen anything that says that anonymous accounts, simply using anonymous accounts, are okay or not okay. I think your theory is totally sound. I think that, you know, that's something that I could probably flesh out and I'd go to court with, right? Like saying that, look, um, if you can't have anonymous accounts, then you can't have burner phones, right? You can't have, um, you know, the Google voice that allows you to pretend your phone number is something else. You can't have like, because you have to look at it in a larger systemic context, right? Of what exactly is happening and are there uh, analogs? in the non-financial um, sectors or in other sectors that still involve the trading of value, money exchanges, right? So what I look at primarily when I'm trying to figure out where is this going to fall is like what kind of arguments do we have in order to preserve what exists or does it need to shift? 
I think the idea of the tumblers being used for money laundering and the fact that people who are using those tumblers may not be aware that they're basically serving as the means to launder the money um, is uh, is a problematic. It's it's that's something that's going to remain problematic. Mixers are not going to be okay. Right. And the fact that somebody doesn't know that they were part of like, you know, like they were basically cleaning someone else's money is not going to save them. They're going to say you did this. You know, you used a mixer. Mixers, by definition, are are these, you know, these pooled accounts are a bad idea. Um, I think the argument is going to be um, what happens if you have an anonymous account? What happens when something requires liability to attach? And this is actually our fundamental issue in all of blockchain, right? This is in all of crypto. We have the same basic issue, which is, can we have anonymity um, if people are using it as a sword and not a shield? I don't think there's any reason for anyone to suspect that using anonymity as a shield, you don't need to know who I am. If I'm buying a shirt, you need to, and with cash, all you need to do is count the cash, but, you know, stores ask for your ID and for your, you know, like well, your address and your zip code. And like, why do you need to know that? Like you, there's nothing in this transaction that requires that information other than for you to use it to monetize me. Right. So, so I don't, I'm all for anonymity and the permission of anonymity. And I think that there's nothing right now in the law, um, either the coming laws or present law that says anonymity in and of itself is bad. The problem becomes people who use the anonymity as a weapon. And we can see actually the tendency for people to weaponize anonymity is innate. Like look at comment sections on YouTube or other places, you know, people, when they think that they are not accountable, they act like, you know, like, like asshats. It's just what's happening, right? We keep seeing this where people will will do things that they would never ordinarily do if they thought they were accountable. It's not that um because you know you you don't see them physically or you don't know so who they are. So you think optics matters a lot in this. So you think that optics matters a lot in this. Optics well, will be an important I, thing on what gets banned and what will be allowed. I, I don't know that it's so much optics. What I think is something is going to need to be put in place to hold people accountable. And that's what I call the knowable unknown. So um, people can be anonymous, but if there's a subpoena, like say somebody, you know, just robbed $600 million or something like that from some other account, um, there has to be a way for someone to, uh, to uh, go after that person for liability. So I think that what's going to end up happening is anonymity will be permitted as long as there's a method to gain some level of knowledge, not necessarily even within the network, right? But, but a third party or, or a mix of third parties, something to gain some sort of, um, you know, be able to reconstitute the identity in order to. But I mean, this, this is a big uh, issue for, um, like, I mean, this is similar to the crypto wars in the nineties. So, um, With so the clipper chip, where you had the backdoor, like they, they wanted to mandate backdoors for cryptography, and this uh, didn't work out. And I think this this uh, fight would uh, would happen again because Monero, like it's not, it's not possible to have this kind of backdoor because uh, yeah, it's, it would defeat the whole purpose of the whole thing. Anyway, so this is what I think is where the um, the issue is going to end up is. 
um, is anonymity, complete anonymity, going to be acceptable? Um, and and if we have anonymity, can we ensure that anonymity is combined with good actors? That is where the all of the litigation and legislation is going to come in, because unless you can ensure that your network contains only good actors, what happens is they say, well, you know, the anonymity plus bad actors leads to problems. So we need to figure out either how to secure the network with only good actors, which would mean the network itself would have to purge bad actors. Do you think it would be enough to show good use cases? I mean, for example, with Monero, we can't purge bad actors. There's no way to purge everyone. Um, and I mean, they're similar with the Tor network, for example. They also, they can't uh, disallow the darknet markets and this kind of stuff, but they can still look good. Like, for example, the Tor network is very good. Like, they have an NGO behind it, and they highlight the good use cases of this uh, privacy technology. And do you think it's it's enough for us if we just show some good use cases? I don't think it's about use cases, honestly. I think it's really about liability. This is really where everything is going. This is the risk-based approach. It's about liability. How can you preserve uh, But, uh, anonymity and also preserve the ability to make people accountable for the things that they do? I think that's fundamentally going to be the problem. And I'm not saying, you know, whether or not Monero should exist or shouldn't or whatever. Hold on, my my daughter. No worries, no worries. May I say uh, something? Um, because uh, I think uh, there's a lot of um, yeah of, uh, bad opinions about uh, mixers because uh, mixers like uh, tornado, tornado cash were uh, very 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 compliant because um, their front end uh, was in um, in collaboration with uh, Chainalysis to uh, censor. Uh, Uh, criminal UTXOs uh, from uh, entering in the mixer, and uh, like uh, Monero, they have um, a view key. So with the view key, you make um, the transaction optionally uh, transparent. It's uh, only uh, on your consent, and uh, I think it's a better um, a better solution than uh, give to somebody um, Zcash or something that. Uh, He will lead uh, to uh, user errors, so um, he will never be private. And uh, with Monero of uh, some mixers, you can be anonymous, but uh, you also can um, be transparent if you if you need it. But um, I I never say to people uh, yes um, be transparent, but uh, if they really need uh, to do that. Cryptography allows you to uh, decrypt your own, uh, your own transactions to prove you uh, you was the the guy uh, behind this transaction. I also want to say something regarding the accountability uh, issue. I mean, for example, if you look at oppressive regimes, uh, I was at the Oslo Freedom Forum uh, a few weeks ago, and the thing is, I mean, there's people living in oppressive regimes and. These uh, dictatorships, like they were also asked for accountability into the, the dissidents' bank accounts and this kind of stuff. And of course, it's uh, it's it would be bad for them if the government could uh, look into this. So, I mean, for sure, we think that okay, in the Western world, uh, maybe some people still think that the government is good, and 
but the thing is, yes, people living in oppressive regimes, and I think for them, we need to have perfect privacy without any kind of backdoor. So maybe we can drive this argument in this way, so we can get uh, to keep our 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 digital cash uh, that is private. So I mean, yeah, I think that that use case, the issue of um, the use and the rising use of various aspects of crypto in oppressive regimes is actually, in my opinion, a strong use case and will probably gain some sort of traction considering that the regulations that were co- that are coming are international. So there's 200 countries involved. So um, as we're looking at it from a more international perspective, rather than simply U.S. or Western or whatever perspective, I think arguments like that make a lot more sense. Now, does that mean that individual jurisdictions may or may not actually, you know, like ward off whether or not a particular token or, or project is available to their citizenry? You can't say that they, you know, if they have reason to believe that it is more harmful than not, they might say that, yes, you can't do that in this particular jurisdiction unless you have X, Y, Z, right? But, um, but I think overall, um, the use of, um, of privacy coins, particularly in regimes where, um, you know, there's, there's very high risk for people who oppose or are uh, marginalized by governments is an incredibly strong one. And we saw that actually, like, we, you know, you see the, like the use of crypto in general, um, from, you know, in like the Ukraine and Afghanistan, you know, we had all of these different uses in, in Turkey, where people who don't have access to um, capital or there are very strong capital controls have no way of leaving the system simply because those capital controls are keeping them trapped within that one particular jurisdiction. There's a lot of empathy for that, I think, internationally. Is that how it's going to pan out? I don't know. I think what's going to basically, what's going to happen is they're going to pick and choose who to prosecute, right? So um, that's, and, and, you know, is that a good thing? Um, you know, I don't know. Like, the, the problem is people like hard and fast rules, except when somebody deserves to be the exception, right? So that's why law ends up so vague and nebulous, because there there's this understanding that exceptions exist. And uniformly applied laws. So, so after all, it's still about optics, like who gets caught and who doesn't. No, it's not about optics. It's about allowing freedom in, in the legislation and in the application of the law. It allows, it's about freedom to actually, um, apply the law differently in use cases where clearly applying the law as it stands would create a wrong. Alex, how, how does any of this, uh, <laughs> di- differ from, you know, using traditional cash? Like why, why would the rules, uh, be different for, Monero versus traditional cash, and, and what, what on what grounds? Where where are these? You know, what are the legal grounds for for treating uh, this protocol, this open source, you know, tool differently than something like cash or like gold? Why would it be treated differently? So gold is different because it is the um, uh, because the commodity, the the locations and sizes of the commodity itself tends to be tracked. Simply because there's other use cases in this one. Oh my gosh. Hold on. 
Sorry, Sounds like you got, you got a lot on your hands. Right? It just, my, my five-year-old is having a very difficult morning, and my husband is trying valiantly to deal with it with mixed success. So <laughs> I will try to go into another room, but uh, she's kind of very mommy-heavy mommy, mommy heavy today. But um, so uh, she's fine. She's just, she's just frustrated. So, <laughs> she's five, and she's frustrated, <laughs> and that's how they roll. Yes. So, very, very cute or very, very frustrated, you get one or the other. So um, anyway, so uh, so how is it different? Honestly, in my opinion, it's it's not like I think that a lot of the issues with anonymity are the issues they have. Um, you know, it's it, the reason cash is better is because it's cash, and it's you know there's a, a there's a national interest in in developing and maintaining you know the power of the dollar and utility, and so they're not going to go after the use of cash as much as they're going to go after the transaction that resulted in a legal transfer of cash, right? So, um, you know, I, I think a lot of this argument is, is, is pretty facetious. I think it's really, um, you know, the idea that you have uh, anonymous, I mean, th- there are not many anonymous accounts of cash, right? Where you can hold large cash, you can hold them under your bed, but for the most part, People don't do that. People put them in banks. And so at some level, there is a tracking of the amount of cash and the person. Right. And that's one of the things that the IRS uses to figure out if there's tax evasion. With this, there's no hook to figure out if there's tax evasion. And you'd be surprised how much legislation is literally based on making sure that the government gets a piece um, which, of course, if that were really, you know, the most important thing, they would not have so many tax cuts for the wealthy. But that's an entirely different issue. Um, personally, I don't think that there's a real argument there to say, is there anonymity? Um, is anonymity bad per se? No, we have lots and lots and lots of things showing that uh, anonymity is not bad per se. Hold on a second. <laughs> Hold on. Um, so there's lots of things saying that uh, that anonymity has is not bad per se. Uh, we have lots of evidence to say there's nothing wrong with it. There's lots of evidence to say that anonymous parties can and, and do engage in financial transactions, right? There's lots of evidence to say that, you know, that parties um, engage in uh, financial transactions without knowing the identity of one another, right? They don't have to be known even to each other. They can still engage in a financial transaction. There's um, a lot. Uh, we always we already have evidence that people can hold assets anonymously, and that is okay as well. So um, all of the pieces have individually been affirmed in, uh, like at least in the U.S. and in most countries, right? Through a series of events, we can go and look and say, you have this, you have this, you have this. All of that is essentially this part, this part, this part. If we string them together, we have something like Monero. Why is it bad that it's Monero? And fundamentally, we all know the answer to that, right? Because it's not the U.S. dollar. Um, that's what CBDCs are all about. They're pretending it's crypto because what they really want is for people to use something that they can pretend is anonymous, but really is, you know, programmable cash. And I think, um, you know, this is something that while, while they attack a lot of crypto, um, for things like anonymity, et cetera, and, and, you know, the digital, solely digital use, they're trying to implement the same things in CBDCs, except that they can actually intervene in your transactions and they can stop them which a lot of people don't realize is what CBDCs are. Everybody thinks they're like the saving grace of DeFi. They are not. They're terrible. In my opinion. So you think they will sell us something uh, as digital cash, even though it is not. It's not really like cash. It's more 
like some different thing that they can control. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think fundamentally, what is the problem with uh, privacy coins? One is the tendency for them to be used in crime. Now, I mean, this is a common truism now. We're like, well, so is cash, right? So if there's more of a tendency to use a particular coin in crime, then um, it's problematic. With Zcash, the issue has been the people who choose to to make it a private coin tend to be ones who are people who have committed crimes. That is what um, that is what the uh, the commentary has said. Right. The like legal commentary and, and legislative commentary. Um, apparently the biggest that's the concern is that the people who choose it, who choose to do the privacy coins are the ones who are going and, you know, buying drugs and kids and things like that online. So they want to prohibit that behavior. And if that's enabled by using a privacy coin, they want to stop the use of the privacy coin, thinking that that will stop the behavior. Of course, that doesn't, unfortunately. I wish it did, right? Because then we could stop all bad behavior by just stopping a particular, you know, currency. That'd be awesome. Um, but I don't think that that's possible. If it is, somebody tell me, because that'd be great. I mean, I'm like, I'm willing to go to the hill and I'll back that. But I don't know that that's possible. So if we look instead at, um, you know, what happens with the use of privacy when you want to conduct transactions, they become hidden from the government and they have, um, you know, in large enough scale, they have the threat of undermining the government's control of um, of currency. Now, I will say no currency wants to go head to head with the with the U.S. dollar, especially if you have any basis in the U.S., which almost every you know currency and token does. Um, because there is this 1863 law that basically says that the U.S. government uh, gets to declare uh, any other currency counterfeit and illegal and then can seize it, etc. So and it's based on, you know, the Civil War with, you know, the the counterfeit dollars, the the um, the, the southern currency. They just basically wanted to kill the economy. And so that law is still active. So. I would always say you don't want to go head to head. We're going to break down the dollar or whatever. What I think the best course in general for almost all of crypto, especially when it comes to trying to figure out some alternative currency is to look at it as a competitor, but not like a direct something that is going to undermine and overturn something. Mostly just it's better when people have options and um, having options maintains not only competitiveness, but freedom in society. So it's better to have it. Um, but again, these are my, that's just my understanding of what is happening right now. Yeah. I mean, a, another way to, to look at it though is, so yeah, if, if you're going to go commit some crime and you're going to use a crypto, unless you're an idiot, you're going to try to use something like a Monero, right? Uh, but just in general, if you're going to transact, unless, unless you're an idiot, you're going to use something like Monero. So, I mean, that, that's the, the, the larger trend. It's just that people in general are moving towards quote unquote privacy coins for the purposes of transacting because, you know, any, any Joe Schmo, uh, that's, that's using crypto for, for anything in terms of transacting, if they have the choice between doing it privately and not doing it privately, and essentially just as easy to use the private version versus the non-private version and transactions are just as cheap, if not cheaper. 
uh, why would they ever choose otherwise? Um, uh, you know, anybody that's kind of somewhat aware is going to want to transact privately. And it's not because they want to evade taxes. Maybe that's why some people are doing it. And it's not because they want to commit a crime, although maybe there's those that are. But it just makes sense from uh, a person for, for, you know, uh, people benefit from from uh, shielding, uh, you know, information about themselves. Right. There's a real benefit there. Um, certainly in terms of in terms of the business sense. Right. Uh, you know, there's a competitive advantage that you have when you're when you're doing things in private. You don't want all your competitors to know how you're using your money, how you're spending your money, you know, who your suppliers are. I mean, it's it's just innately. Uh, it's, I mean, human, also it's the liability as a lot. Yeah, like when you, when you accept the money, you're not you're not sure. Like if you are if you accept Bitcoin, for example, you're not sure if maybe. Uh, some of the coins uh, went through an, a sanctioned address before, and then you try to put the money on Coinbase and exchange it to dollars to pay your supplier or whatever, and suddenly your Coinbase accounts get frozen, or the coins were mixed, and and suddenly you have these kind of tainted coins that are worth less. So to avoid this kind of liability, and also like the risk that maybe they say, oh, maybe you are the money launderer here, uh, you you much better accept only something like Monero, because it means that you are free from this uh, duty to investigate the transactions because it's just like cash. So you don't need to uh, check every dollar bill, like if, the, if it came from a cocaine dealer or what the, what the history of this uh, dollar bill is. So uh, this is also the thing that they, that they wrote in the Brookings report about the CBDC. So, yeah. Yeah, just from, from a fungibility sense, right? There's, there, there's less friction involved with transactions when they're all fungible and equally private because uh, there's no history attached so there's 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 no information that comes along with the transaction so you don't have to go ahead and look at the history because there's no history to look at uh so i mean alex what do you what do you think of that so like because part of your argument was you know governments are going to start to point to the fact that you know uh, somebody's going to do something illegal they're probably going to opt to start using a privacy coin but maybe maybe the the counter argument is if somebody's just going to transact they're probably going to opt and start to choose a privacy coin once they become aware of these things because it just makes sense for anybody transacting if they have a choice to use the quote unquote private or fungible version um okay uh honestly a lot of the arguments about why you would use so the the only argument really to use the dollar is it's accepted more places right that's that's the argument um and when that becomes the sole argument the response is okay we should expand where people accept this and then what happens then there's limited use for the dollar right so I, I, while I, I agree with what you're saying, right, that it makes financial sense, uh, and it makes sense in terms of, um, your ability to preserve privacy, uh, in transactions. It absolutely makes sense that you would use the cheaper option and or the more anonymous option, which is, I mean, the fact that it's the, the same option is, um, is, it says something, right? But, at the same time, presenting that argument, oh, I love you too, um, presenting the argument um, in that manner 
uh, is going to draw a lot of um, response from the government. And, and then you can respond, okay, we, we, use, uh, we use this in oppressive regimes and help the people there, like, for example, in Afghanistan, like, uh, maybe this is the best answer to this uh, proposal from the government. This part really is about the optics that you had mentioned before. Because the, why would somebody choose, like, if, if you were doing something that wasn't illegal, but you just didn't really care to either to like have a track record of it on your account, right? If you, you, why, you could use a credit card, but you decide you don't want to because you don't either don't want it on the account or you don't want to pay fees or, you know, that whatever reason, right? Cash is easier. So you use cash. And, um, and that makes sense because cash is cheaper in a lot of ways than using a credit card. Well, this is the next cash level, right? Where you say, okay, I would like to pay in cash, but I would like the cash that's cheaper for me to use. That is a, a bit easier. And, you know, they don't really need to know anything about me. So I'm going to use the, you know, the privacy one. Um, the, the problem here is when you go from credit card to, uh, to cash, you're talking about the same underlying fiat. When you're talking about something that's a competitor to fiat, and this is literally just, I, it really is just optics here. Um, is wording it in the way of like, look, we're cheaper than money and we allow privacy that not even cash does. So why would you not want to use it? We can't control that people who do illegal things are, um, you know, are not going to use it, but we can't control that in cash either, right? We just try to track it. And the thing is, there's a physicality to cash that allows a certain amount of tracking that a completely digital currency doesn't. So there is there. But that, also this this lack of uh, physicality for Monero is also maybe a good thing because you can say okay this thing is very good uh, for um, from a geopolitical standpoint for America because it's in the American interest that dissidents and foreign oppressive regimes that are counter to uh, what America wants uh, that they are, these people can use uh, Monero to defend themselves. Meanwhile, in America, probably it's still better to use cash because it's so much easier to use. Like it's instant zero uh, zero confirmation transactions and uh, no fees. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, this is literally just about how to describe and defend it, um, not not whether or not it's useful or anything like that. And that's what what, what we're talking about right now. So just to clarify for people, this is not about is Monero a good thing? Is it something that you know, should privacy coins exist, et cetera. This is not that. I mean, it's, they, they, they should. Like, they're not, they're not fundamentally changing the nature of financial transactions or anything. Um, what they are doing is preserving a level of privacy. And, um, and if you are doing something illegal and you're money laundering or whatever, you're just as accountable if you're using a privacy coin as if you were using something else, right? So you're not like not accountable just because you're using a privacy coin. But the truth is, this is going to be the biggest argument that is faced um, for, against any government. Um, and it's something I think that the entire community has to prepare for. Because right now, they're focused on stable coins because stable coins are the most likely competitor to any sort of fiat. We don't have a stable coin right now that actually is competitive with fiat. Um, we have, they're all going to break. 
uh, and the timelines vary, but they're not designed uh, like a currency, unfortunately. So um, fundamentally, we're looking at uh, at some point the government is going to figure that out. Right. And they're going to look at the next competitors. And this is not like a government is evil kind of thing. This is just a look. They're protecting their interests. And um, did, I, did I hurt your little head? I'm so no. sorry. OK, um, so. So fundamentally, they're just trying to protect their I'm sorry, like my. I have a a little kid who's getting over a cold and so she's oh, we, we we greatly appreciate you coming on. No, and, I, uh, I appreciate take, it. Yeah, taking away family time. <laughs> she's she well, she, she's getting ready to go to the farmers market with daddy. But um but uh <laughs> so it's just kind of I you know, look man, uh this is kind of how I come. She's she's been on lots and lots of podcasts of mine and other ones because um you know, this is just kind of what happens. And if you don't mind, I don't mind. <laughs> but, I don't. I mean, I, I, I have kids, so I, I, I totally yeah. get it. But Alex, it's, it's kind Alex, of how you roll. But I, I mean, mean, honestly, so just to finish this up, the, the, um, the, the thing that's really important in this particular part of the discussion, I think, is figuring out exactly how to present this in the future so that it's not shut down and has the chance to grow. That's really, you know, where, where the distinction is. I think so too. I think that's a very good, uh, good point. Like, for example, I paid a woman in Kabul to, uh, to uh, do some work for a Monero website there and I used Monero to do this and it wouldn't be possible without Monero. And they even put stickers in, uh, in Kabul, like Monero stickers there and we're trying to grow, uh, um, remote work inside there because Upwork banned, uh, all the people from Afghanistan because of some banking stuff. So I think it's really nice that Monero can just solve this issue. I mean, honestly, that there probably can't be better optics or press than helping people who are trapped in other jurisdictions um, or in countries that have these incredibly tight capital controls that we don't even understand. They don't release what what underpins their currency. So they're just trying to be able to make sure that their currency is. um Okay. Oh, she's worried that they're leaving without her. They're not leaving without her. Like, they're going to notice the kid is like... <laughs> um, sorry. Alex, why, why we still have you, um, I just want to say we're, we're doing a Monero conference down in Mexico City. So some, something to consider. Maybe you, maybe you come down there. That's going to be in May. That sounds awesome. Uh, we love Mexico. We go down there, you know, as much as we can. And, um, and, uh, I mean, the people are awesome and the food is amazing. And so I, I, I just recommend Mexico to basically everybody. It's done, baby bear. Okay. Yeah, we, we love it down there. I bring, but, uh, I bring my kids though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll probably be bringing my daughter as well. And, uh, I know you, you mentioned you went to some conference back in, I think you said 2016 and it was only 200 people. Uh, this is probably going to be a smaller conference. It's an intimate crowd, uh, all Monero loving people. Uh, we'll have some, you know, Monero devs there. It should, it should be an interesting time. It's a little bit more uh, like a, an OG feeling uh, as opposed to what these conferences have become. That's actually really nice. I mean, the last one I spoke at, I just went to Web Summit. I spoke there, and there were 80,000 people. So it's not really an interesting 80,000? That's insane. Where was that? Yeah, I mean, apparently it was that big. Um, I mean, it was it was close to that. 
last year and they had, it was like post COVID. So everybody was like very masked up and everything, but they had skipped a year because of COVID. And so it's like this pent up, like I must network or something like that. But I have to say, if you speak, if you have a chance to speak at web summit, a thousand percent, you must do it. The speaker's lounge alone is just so worth it. That is like, a vacation in and of itself that it, there's just so much to say about that but the conference sounds really nice so thank you very much uh I'll, let's connect about it. it sounds really good um i don't know uh how helpful i am in terms of like you know monero understanding monero but i do think that the biggest issue with monero is it really is fundamentally it's going to be an optics problem to allow growth yeah no that's that you know that's what we want to bring you in here you know because uh i think i think you're giving some good insights um I mean, there's, I would say maybe even a large percentage of the people in this room right now might be just be like, yeah, whatever. Uh, myself included, uh, you know, we're, we're here, we're building an open source protocol. Uh, we're building something that's, that's meant to be unstoppable. So we're not really asking for permission. We're not asking governments to allow us to use this. We're building something that effectively governments can't stop. And then they're going to have to contort around and figure out how to deal with it because it exists. Uh, I think that's kind of the, the, uh, majority opinion in Monero community. Uh, but that being said, obviously it's going to hinder adoption if, you know, a large government like the United States tries to effectively ban it. Uh, anybody, anybody else want to want to jump up? So we, we kind of went out of uh, out of our normal normal schedule here. So, you know, we'll, we'll just keep going along this along these lines of allowing everybody to just participate like a normal space. Alex, go ahead. I appreciate it. I'm so sorry. And I don't want to dominate this. I definitely want to make sure everybody has a, a chance to talk about this. Um, uh, the only thing that, I, and I understand absolutely the desire to say, well, the government can't stop it, but the truth is anything that involves people can be stopped by the government. And right now, you know, as I think it's public that there are subpoenas being issued in terms of, uh, for, um, for Uniswap, right? So DEXs are not safe. Um, and, and there's this idea that decentralization allows either some protection for liability or, um, or the ability to like, you know, not be able to be liable, but that is just not how it works. So I personally am of the more, um, like I, I was a regulator, right? So I used to work at the Securities and Exchange Commission. I'm not opposed to regulation that makes sense and works. Um, I have, issues with the current setup of the securities regulations, but that's my own personal belief. It has nothing to do with the regulators. I think the regulators are actually doing the best they can and they're doing a remarkable job. But, um, but I, do, but the, the issue really is it's, it's not, it's, 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 it's easier and better overall. Okay. It's easier and better overall for people to, um, to do more, to, to work, to work with a, a non-attacking government than to try and say, screw you government, come and get us, right? So I think there is a, there is a path here where it can grow and it can grow without too much objection. Um, and I think personally, right, it's cheaper and, and fewer people get in trouble, um, if we try to walk that line. As opposed to say, you know, where we're building it and, and, you know, you know, try and, and get us like that's enough for governments to band together and actively try to stop you. So 
uh, why not take a, an approach that is more like we can work with and on behalf of governments in terms of helping people who are in jurisdiction, like in these countries that that have, um, you know, people who, who need access to something like this to survive. Um, we can work with, you know, people who uh, don't have uh, access to cash, like are fundamentally unbanked, but if they have some way of getting a digital account, once we get rid of ACH, right, like this is the one of the biggest problems. We cannot help unbanked people until we're done with the ACH on ramps, right? So, or at least we have something else in addition. But if you can do that, then you can say, okay, there's another thing that we can do that you guys aren't doing, but we can do. We can help this entire, you know, like millions of people who are unbanked and cannot get help otherwise. In, in these ways, you carve out a space for yourself. And, and that is something that the government is actually used to sleeping on. This is exactly the approach of almost every large industry that has existed where they don't come in and confront the government directly. They just say, hey, look, we're going to operate in this space. That's cool, right? We're making things easier for you and for other people. Oh, no, that's great. Well, we're going to move over into this space, too. That's okay, though, right? Like, it's just one more space. But, you know, fundamentally, we think you guys are awesome, and we're just going to stick in this little lane. Okay, that's fine. And then the next thing you know, like they're pervading everything. So that approach, and I just like history a lot. I think historically we've seen that approach is incredibly powerful and a way for things to not only get built, but get built often with the assistance of the government. So, um, you know, and then they're like, what the hell did we just do? <laughs> but, but I, but I mean, I think that that's something that we have to consider, right? This is an approach that I think not enough people are taking in this entire industry. And, um, I and think so too. I think this is, this is like a very important thing. I also think that it's much easier, like practically, like when you try to onboard someone in America, for example, you go to them to talk to them and the people maybe think like, oh, here comes Mr. Funny Money again. And they are maybe not as eager to listen to you to say, to your idea of like Monero and digital cash and whatnot. Meanwhile, in Afghanistan, it's very easy. Like Upwork doesn't even allow them to do remote work there because of the banking stuff. So it's very easy to, they understand immediately what the, uh, why this is very useful for them. So it's much easier and uh, um, quicker to onboard people and to grow there and it's underserved market. So we should focus on these places instead of, uh, banging our head against the wall in the Western countries. Spirabal, I just want to throw out there, um, you know, I know you wanted to present some of the projects you're working on. I think uh, we, could, we could do that next week because we could have you share your screen on on the StreamYard so people could actually see what you're talking about, if you don't mind. Uh, and we could just keep uh, keep this chat going as is. Just want to throw that okay, out there. Cool. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more, Alex. I mean, you know, like I said, I think ultimately, uh, you know, Monero is being built to be unstoppable. But, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with trying to tunnel in from both ends. So the one end being making Monero unstoppable, the other end being making governments amenable to Monero. Uh, and there's no reason not to be working on both things simultaneously. Uh, with the understanding that at the end of the day, uh, the unstoppable side is much more important. Um, but, you know, I, I ran for Congress in 2020 for that very reason. It's, it's, it's literally why I did it. Like, like a madman uh, went out there and it was all for 
the purpose of, you know, maybe being sit, sitting in Congress when the, when, when the conversation came up as to whether or not we need to, we need to ban Monero. So it kind of saw the right writing on the wall and that's the direction we're moving. And I, I want, I wanted somebody to be there to, to make the strong, you know, pro free speech arguments, codish speech. I haven't, I haven't really seen any of our representatives take that line yet. Uh, I have seen people push. They've been pro Bitcoin, but when push comes to shove, and you know their backs up against the wall, and they're being questioned, uh, and you know they have to have to give an answer as to whether or not we should worry about something like Bitcoin being used for illegal things, for money laundering, etc. The answer is, well, don't worry. You know, actually, it's perfectly traceable, and there's these you know large companies that are tracking and tracing all transactions. So if anything, it could help fight crime. As opposed to making the argument as to uh, why it might be okay to have a utility that's that's pure digital cash and why that's ultimately good for open and, and free societies. I haven't really heard any of our representatives make the, the pro-America argument as to why a technology like Monero actually aligns with the ideals of free and open societies. So, I mean, I totally agree with you, and I think we need, we need to work on it from both ends. Uh, any, any, anybody, I think she might be dealing with the kids over there right now. Uh, oh, I see, uh, Jonathan requesting. I'll add a speaker. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, I was just looking at some of the comments. Um, did she say that, uh, all stable coins are going to zero? Yes, I did. I did say that. Uh, I'm actually, it was asked by a publisher to write a book on, um, DeFi. I am about two thirds of the way through it. Uh, that's actually my schedule for today is right, right, right. I've got to finish working on that thing. Um, but I did finish the chapter on stable coins. I identified about seven different types and, um, and examples of, uh, how they work and what they are. Um, and yep, fundamentally, if you look at history, history is such a good teacher for, um, anything dealing with finance, particularly because, uh, human behavior fundamentally hasn't changed much. Um, and, uh, if we look at, uh, the way things have been designed, um, we can see what's worked and what hasn't. And it's really important in blockchain in general for us to do that because uh, we can't pivot really. So the more we know about how decisions have worked out, the good and the bad, so we can promote the good and then maybe uh, build guardrails against the bad, um, the better, right? I mean, there's no reason for us to continually be surprised by the same outcome over and over again, simply because we were not the ones that made the original uh, error where we just are recreating it over and over again. It's much easier to actually look at this. And I will say fundamentally, if you look at stable coins, None of them even have a team to understand the depths of what has to be created with a stable coin. It is a very complex structure and it's usually, you know, a couple of devs that are like, let's do it this way, but they really do not understand um, how these work. Anybody who is surprised by Terra Luna, they're right there, right there is the problem. Like, it, honestly, if you follow me, you would have not gotten into like any of the scams of the last few years, like Celsius Voyager, uh, BlockFi, or uh, any of the problems, like like uh, legal problems that involved S FTX. Um, there was like, God, there's so many that have happened, Terra Luna. Uh, but I talk about all of them and why they're not going to work. And people say, oh, that's incredible. It's stupid. What do you know? And it's it's like, honestly, I know economics. <laughs> so I know that fundamentally doesn't work. And I know a bit about human nature. And the fact that people invested money 
um, you know, uh, like in Three Arrows, they said that they had uh, they had not accounted for the fact that Luna could go to zero. What in human nature makes anybody think that if something is tanking, that the inclination is not going to be to escape it rather than to spend more resources to shore it up, especially if it's not yours? That's exactly what happened. When something tanked, they were like, yeah, I'm out. Instead of saying, oh, no, let's all invest here and build this thing back up. That is just not how people work. Anchor, you know, obviously a fraud as well. Like there's just a lot of things in here that um, I don't think are surprising uh, once you have enough information to really look at um, the outcomes. Like anything pegged. Pegged economies have been around for at least um, at least a thousand years. Uh, we've had pegged economies in one form or another, and they've all broken. And it is generally uh, what is considered the worst day of anyone's life, right? But pegged economies always break. It is impossible to be essentially a skateboarder tied with string to a, you know, a Mack truck that is driving on the freeway, on the on-ramp, et cetera. You can maybe hang on, but then eventually it goes up to speed and it doesn't care that you're skateboarding and attached to the truck. You will die. You're going to make a mistake or something's going to happen. There's just, you can't maintain the same speed on a skateboard. The wheels don't even work the same way. Like friction alone is going to kill you. So there's just uh, these two things cannot work in tandem, especially when one of the parties is um, has zero interest in making sure that the other party is safely tagging along. And you see that with what happened with El Salvador and the U.S., which was actually using the U.S. dollar, but they were impacted by decisions that were made by the U.S. Fed um, for the U.S. people, like for for its own citizenry. If anybody else got impacted, it was not their problem. So um, anyway, there's a lot of these. I can go through this. It's probably boring for people in this particular group, but I do want to say, yes, I, I that is it's true because none of these have been designed correctly. But um, but it doesn't mean that they will break today or tomorrow. And while the likelihood that they're going to zero is like pretty much 100 percent, the likelihood that they'll go to zero while you're using it is minimal. That's why people still use them. But if you are one of those people where you are using it while it's going to zero, it sucks. It sucks, but it destroys your, you know, your financial position. It makes all of your impermanent loss permanent. It's, 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 it's tough, right? So you have to be cautious knowing that uh, everything you do has to be very short term. And, and to the extent that you've got a way out, um, while the transaction is going on, if you're doing a lockup or something like that, you need to know and exercise it. Awesome. Uh, so you said you, you worked at the SEC? Yeah, you didn't know. I'm sorry. I just thought you knew that. Uh, yeah, I do. I did. Um, so what, what's your, so then what's kind of your overview of the, you know, securities arguments? Uh, you know, which, which cryptos are securities, which ones aren't? Um, is it, is it just, you know, uh, is there just a few that, that are going to pass, pass the Howey test or whatever test they end up using to determine, uh, what is and isn't a security? Uh, well, what's your current take on that? Oh, yeah. Let me summarize, uh, you know, hundreds of uh, like a hundred years of uh, securities law. 
really quickly right now. <laughs> um, okay, a couple of things to know. So I do not have the answers, but I can tell you that I suspect most of what's going on is actually a security of some sort. Second, the Howey test is um, is not a definitive test for securities. It is one test for one type for one thing on a list of many other things that are sometimes securities and are paired with other lists of things that are always securities or never securities. That is why um, uh, securities law is so complex, right? Because um, there are a lot of rules and how you do something matters a lot. Um, and this industry seems to be built with, with a bunch of people who have no interest in, in like contacting lawyers or accountants or anything like that and then end up with, you know, these garbage financial statements and completely non-compliant, um, you know, uh, platforms and then wonder why, you know, what went wrong. Fundamentally, our biggest problem in the period that we're looking at right now, 2017 to 2020, is that money started flowing in. And people were were trying really hard to build and build fast, take advantage of the money that was coming in. And what ended up happening is a bunch of copycats. So we saw the same basic build over and over again on different platforms. And um, that is pro a problem because everybody assumed somebody had done the work and nobody did. That's the same thing as like, you know, looking at FTX and saying, oh, Sequoia invested. I'm going to invest. It has to be a good investment. You know, they did their work. Did they? Because they were fine with a company that clearly had financial statements of 900 million in liquid assets, half of which were in Robinhood and 9 billion in liabilities. There's no math that makes that work. That is not the first bad financial statement that they've had. The only thing that you can think of is like, well, Sequoia either didn't know what they were looking at or they didn't look at all. Right. But they didn't do anything to fix this situation. They didn't talk to regulators. They didn't warn retail investors. They didn't do anything. They just let it ride, mostly because they'd already liquidated out of their position. But the same um, problem happens with builds where people are looking at each other and saying, OK, well, here's how that build worked. Most of them are open source. I'm just going to try and build the same way. And here's the difference between it can be built that way versus it should be built that way. Every build should actually be fundamentally um, a, at least a slight improvement over previous builds because you can see what has happened with the previous build and try to prevent bad action and promote good action. So, um, so what we didn't see that though, we just saw people throwing things together. The worst part of this is that the money was coming primarily from web two investors and these web two investors, some of which were large funds have no idea how different web three is from web two. They were forcing web three to somehow do a build in the same manner and time period that a web two build would be built. And it doesn't work that way here. It's, it's just, it's not, it's not even comparable in that respect. Like our pre-build period is the longest because we have to think of all the things that could go wrong and how to uh, work around them. Because again, not pivoting makes things very different. So I see and have seen these web two people basically asking questions that are absolutely irrelevant. They don't know what um, positions to ask about. They don't know what uh, ratios matter. Uh, they don't know even like what um, metrics work best for Web3 versus Web2. It's a little shocking to me that they go into this area assuming that it was applicable. If it worked in Web2, it would work in Web3, even though what worked in Web2 was literally just a SaaS model.
it wasn't even all of web two. It was like one model that YC loved and admittedly specialized in. And that is what everybody decided was like the great thing to copy. And so now they were trying to build web three models. That's what you see here, right? Web three models built in a web two form, which has functionally a lot of, um, uh, a lot of, uh, what do you call it? Um, a lot of centralization and very little operational control. And, and that is how a lot of web two gets built. So, uh, but that doesn't work for web three, which is why eventually this, it just, it just can't maintain, uh, its position. So, um, so the, so when I, when I, I say like a whole group of things are wrong, it's not because all of these different people did all this research and, and it happened to come to the wrong conclusion. It's that nobody did work and they're all assuming that just Howie, which was just in one no action letter, it's not the only test, um, that, uh, they're assuming that if they can pass Howie, then they're not a security, but that's not true. You can pass Howie and be a, sec- and, uh, and not be a security or, um, or you can pass Howie and be a security. You cannot pass Howie and be a security. You cannot pass Howie and not be a security. There, it's that's not the only thing that matters, right? Um, the other thing is that they're making mistakes over and over again. So we see the same um, mistakes that are structural or regulatory that happen over and over again. So if we're not actually, it's not saying like all of these things are wrong. It's saying that. Uh, the same error is repeated over and over, and that is going to be fundamentally a massive problem. Now, that doesn't mean that the securities laws are great. Actually, they're f- so broken. They're, they're fundamentally broken, and they broke in 1996. Um, the rules are designed around um, basically one set of actors that are regulated and responsible under fiduciary obligation. These are broker dealers. Everything in the rules fundamentally goes back to these broker dealers who are these intermediaries who provided a lot of information for a lot of cost, um, and, and mi- mitigated the access between, um, in retail investors and marketplaces, right? So you had these broker dealers. They haven't been in any position of power since 1996 when Glass-Steagall broke. And what has happened since then? The rules haven't changed fundamentally, but the role of broker-dealers has diminished progressively over time. We now have entire marketplaces that don't have any broker-dealers at all. But the rules don't make sense because they're based on having this, this particular system in place that doesn't exist. So they're broken, but it's not like they're broken for Web3. They're broken for web two also. They're just broken, right? They, they're based on a system that doesn't exist anymore. So, um, I don't think it's like, oh, they hate web three and, you know, they don't, they don't understand how it works. Even if, you know, I think more of them understand than you think. Um, but not that many, <laughs> but even if they understand how it works, they're, they're tied in what they can do because these rules are based on an antiquated system that doesn't function anymore. That is a huge problem. Um, the other thing is, you know, the not even the securities part, but the currency part, when you're talking about things like bit licenses or things that become currencies, that is also based on this very antiquated system where it was like banks operated in individual states, right? But there may be only a few banks that operated in more than one state. But now we have digital banks that operate anywhere. 
And the idea that you have to register every place you operate is ridiculous because you can't have one form. There's essentially you have to apply in every single state. That makes no sense whatsoever, right? But that's also a system that's based entirely on an antiquated model that is no longer prevalent. There are very few banks that only have, you know, a very, very small footprint. And I think really the only one left is the one that FTX bought that has like three employees. But for the most part, most banks are working to expand their footprint, not contract it. And as a result, this system is incredibly limiting for reasons that were never intended. That is my rant on regulation. Damn. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> uh, that, that was amazing. I, I could see why you're getting so popular in these spaces. You're bringing a lot of knowledge. Uh, really, really good stuff. So can I, can I ask you in short though, what do you think? Do you think, do you think Bitcoin's a security, uh, Ethereum, Monero, just, just looking at, at those three and, you know, through the lens of what, what you know to date and how you think governments may come down on, or the U.S. government may come down on us? I mean, I think, uh, you know, so Bitcoin already said, you know, it's a commodity. Um, you know, Ethereum. Oh, I think that's going to be a tough one. Honestly, I think that they're going to reevaluate, to be honest. Uh, I'm not looking forward to it, but I think that that one, there's enough people who are questioning whether or not Ethereum should have been considered not a security. Um, but what, what do you see as being the Achilles heel there for Ethereum? Is it the, that the proof of stake? Is it the way it, it was launched? Um, you know, we're, Basically, they they pre 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 sold Ethereum with an expectation of a profit. What what do you see as being the Achilles heel for Ethereum? A bit more because it's like an incubator for a bunch of uh, securities that are claiming not to be securities. So, um, you know, I think yes, the pre sale was a problem. I'm actually surprised that EOS wasn't you know. Uh, hasn't already been taken down for that reason. I know they faced a fine and that was it. But, um, but for this one, you know, the, the manner of sale, um, and the, well, the manner of sale is problematic. They didn't really discuss it. Um, for Bitcoin, it was mostly distributed among developers, right? And, and, and miners. It was kind of like, you know, miners would, would create it, but whatever existed to be able to make it function, um, you know, the, it was distributed among people who were actually working in the system. For Ethereum, it was a, a lot of it. And as I, as I, maybe this is incorrect, but a lot of it rested entirely with Vitalik. And it was, um, and, and I think there were two other people that had gigantic chunks of it. Um, and they retained it, right? So it wasn't like it was supposed to be supposed to circulate in the system. They retained it, uh, specifically because they thought that it would increase in, um, in value, right? So the, the issuers looked like they actually were retaining it so that it would increase in value. Um, the, the, the thing that saves it, in my opinion, is that, um, Ethereum has a fundamental flaw that a lot of the tokens have. Um, and, and this is not a like, oh, this is terrible Ethereum. Like I'm a, I'm a supporter of all chains. Um, but, um, but ETH has too has its, um, its token doing too many things. And they didn't realize that that was not going to promote its use. It was going to impede it. So Ethereum has a token that serves as a governance token and a security and a transactional token. And each of those has its own set of interests. And, um, and, and groups of people that would like for its value to either increase or decrease. 
And the problem is whenever it um, increases in value in one area, it comes at the expense of the other two areas. So um, there's, you know, if it increases in as a security, yay, all the people who are holding it as a security are excited. But then all the people who want to use it as a transactional token are like, well, this sucks. It's too expensive. Right. So the price goes down. So more transactions can happen. And then the people who hold it as a security are like, well, that sucks. Right. So um, the bad part of that is that it's not well designed. The good part of that is that it maintains the price within a particular range. And we've seen that it kind of just buffers up and down. And, you know, it goes in the lower part of the range when the market is low and upper part of the range when the market is good. But fundamentally, it has a ceiling and a floor. And and to that extent, um, it can't it can't really be a security as it exists right now. Other than the fact that it is used as a primary tool for things that clearly are securities. So I think um, when they evaluated it, they did not consider the fact that there are too many purposes on any part on the on the token. Because, I mean, if you look at it, literally only Germany has money that doesn't have too many jobs, even American money. Like the, our dollar has too many jobs. It has two jobs, not one job. Money should have one job. Um, so, uh, so they didn't really consider that that was something that would actually limit its ability to grow as a security. And so its investment status was always going to be functionally limited. I think that's what saves it. Um, but, uh, but it's still problematic in how it has become used as basically an unfettered, um, uh, base for a bunch of securities that are essentially built in in Ethereum tokens, in, in ERC tokens. So um, I think that there's some problem there. Do I think that they're going to do an analysis that's, you know, very detailed and look at it in that way that essentially Ethereum functions as a promoter for all of these other um, these other uh, securities? I don't know. To be honest, I know that a lot of the rules have been changing. Influencer status is is getting modified. Could Ethereum get caught up in that? Definitely. It could. It could get caught up in that. So that one, I think, is a little bit more questionable. Um, for Monero, I mean, I don't think anybody has. I would have to look at the language at launch. I didn't see it. Um, but um, but for the most part, I think it would be. Yeah, no, Mon- Monero was uh, anonymously very similar to Bitcoin in the way was started anonymous you know anonymous group of hackers the launch of a white paper yeah um, I mean, it has a like a single purpose right people are not using it hoping that it's going to go up in value i don't think right people are using it as an anonymous transactional token and that is a very different thing than using something where people want to purchase it in order for it to increase in value so that they can sell it and make a profit off of that differential so i like a lot of it is the way that it is um, offered, like who it's offered to, how they describe the offer. And then once it's actually purchased, what are people purchasing it for? What are they doing with it? Are they sitting on hordes of it hoping that it'll go up? Are they sitting on hordes of it because they that's their their income, like that's just their asset base? Are they sitting on it because uh, they just haven't spent it yet? So that all of that stuff goes into it. Um, you know, I don't know that I'd consider, you know, either Zcash or Monero necessarily. A, I don't think that's even. How about, how about Zcash's dev tax though? Is that uh, potentially problematic? So, I mean, so there's this group of devs that are uh, clearly profiting 
from the from the growth of Zcash, uh, and they get a percentage of you know the mining rewards. So uh, mining is a whole different issue that has already been pretty well evaluated in terms of whether or not it is um, a security. So, but, uh, but I'm saying I'm saying not just mining, where a percentage of the mining rewards is going to uh, a group of people group of, that right. are are benefiting from we, the, from the growth of the project. But we're already seeing like an exclusion. What Treasury said after the infrastructure bill was passed. Oh, sorry. After it, it was passed by the houses, but before it was signed, um, they already excluded devs, um, you know, uh, people who are um, if you're a validator or a miner um, or uh, any uh, like if you're somebody who is um, who's validators, miners, people who push co- like the uh, devs. Um, and there's one other group that's basically like a fun- simply a functional group, like policy group or whatever. Um, those people, uh, are not treated as a group. In this case, it was brokers for security terms, but the same, uh, the same reference, uh, would work in securities, in straight securities, right? These are not people, um, they're benefiting off of work. They're not benefiting off of, um, investment, right? These devs are our active devs. They get, um, it's like getting a, um, you know, they're getting a cut of the revenue in the future or they're getting, an, I guess, extra coins. Um, but if they're if it's in exchange for work, then um, it's basically payment as opposed to um, passive receipt of, um, of of money. Like it's like if there are devs that just were part of the original group and they're getting a cut of mining um, and they're not doing anything anymore, then we have problems. But if um, if they're a group of devs that are actively functioning as devs and in exchange, they're getting some of this, you know, uh, some additional coins thrown towards them so that they will continue to act as devs. That I think is um, is probably not going to be an issue simply because of the language that Treasury gave us. What do you it's, think about the sense against um against being labeled as a security by saying, okay, this token is actually not an investment. It actually has utility in the, in the technology, like this kind of utility defense, if you want to call it this. Yeah, that's not a great defense, unfortunately. So um, uh, this has been, there are a couple of things that we've had in the industry that really aren't helpful. Um, one is uh, utility and the other is decentralization. Um, utility matters when it is the reason people purchase, like from the outset, it's basically this is a tool to do this. And there's no incentive for it to um, increase in value over time, right? Um, when you have something that has both utility and is increasing in value, um, you have you have some problems, right? You have some issues of whether or not um, you know, are people purchasing it primarily for its utility? Are they purchasing it for um, for the value? And here is where we take that Jay Clayton argument, which is the, you know, the, the book club, where what he said is, you know, if you are paying for a membership to a book club, that's not a security. But if you're paying for a membership to a book club where the books aren't written, you know, there are no publishers, there's no library, there's no uh, way to read the books, then that's bad. So this is where um, is the utility functional at the time that it's purchased starts to become a bit more 
um, important. And, um, and that is, we just have to keep these distinctions clear, um, so that, you know, it's not that does it have utility at any time? That's not the question. The question is, why are people buying it? And what are they anticipating from it? So, um, so that is, uh, it, it, it can help, but it isn't necessarily definitive. The second thing is the decentralization argument before anyone brings it up. That was actually given by, um, by Hinman, who was not a commissioner, by the way. He was the director of the, of Corp Finn, which is the division I worked in. Um, but he was a director of Corp Finn. Uh, that doesn't make policy. So, uh, he can, he comes out with his interpretation of things, but that doesn't, mean that what he says is definitive. It just means that's his view of it. He also gave that speech in his personal capacity, I believe, not as a representative of the SEC. So it doesn't it doesn't really have any weight. As you can see, decentralization's not been a factor in declaring anything a security or not a security uh, at all. So um, so those are just a couple of things where we have to know how policy gets made at the SEC, who has weight uh, what does weight mean and, um, and how do we, de- how do we know when somebody says something, if it is something that we have to regard as a future direction or if it's something that is more like, um, this is this one person's opinion. Awesome. I, I just, I just want to chill. Just give me one sec and then we'll, we'll let you jump in here. I know you've been waiting patiently. Uh, I think so we have over like 120 people in the room right now. So I just want to completely, uh, quickly take advantage of that. So. Uh, guys, we, we run, we run this show weekly. We traditionally been doing it on YouTube and now we're, uh, casting it on Twitter spaces at the same time, which has been quite successful. Uh, so every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. So you can follow Monerotopia or follow me and you can, you can join this show. Uh, so, you know, we, we try to get people to participate, people from the audience. So whether you're a noob or a Monero Maxi or whatever coin or project you're interested in, as long as we could somehow relate to the discussion of Monero and digital cash, please, please, uh, participate. Uh, and I want to also mention we're doing a conference. There's going to be a Monero conference in Mexico City in May. We call it Monerotopia, named after the show. We've done, we did one last year in Miami. It was a great success. And so this year's will be in Mexico City. Uh, if you want to grab tickets, we just put them up for sale recently. If you want to reach out to us because you want to participate, perhaps as a speaker or a vendor, or uh, whatever it may be, if you have ideas for us, please don't hesitate to reach out. So if you go to monerotopia.com, you'll see there's you know ways to reach out to us by email or whatever. Just wanted to take advantage and get that out there. Chill, what's going on? Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add to what she said, because I think there's a lot of round-and-round discussions about different projects and whether or not it's a security or not. But the main problem right now is that you can go to literally any U.S. securities attorney and you're not going to get a definitive answer that, yes, this is not a security. And the reason you, you can't get that is because no one really knows. It's very arbitrary. There's like muddy waters where not even securities attorneys know for sure that something is not a security because SEC turns around and says, well, yes, it is, and and that's that. And I'm, I'm a blockchain consultant, so we work with a lot of um, proof of concepts, web three companies, and I also know that there are companies who have direct access to SEC 
and they sometimes reach out and they receive a letter or something like you're good and then another company can come around and copy the same exact model and then they get dinged and they get a letter from SEC because following the same model and they get they get scrutinized that's the security so there's a lot of favoritism and, and the biggest issue is that the rules are not clear it's not about is it bitcoin is it ethereum first first things first we need to get this straight like what a, a lawyer should be able to tell us yes that is 100% not a security and that's where we can build because right now it's just a big old mess Great points. Sebastian, what's going on? I see you've been waiting patiently to chime in over here. Well, yes, thank you. Can you guys hear me fine? Yeah, you sound good. Yeah, thank you. So, I wanted to also highlight when she was talking about regulation. Uh, a lot of, we're seeing a lot of people removing their crypto right now from exchanges, which is a good move. And they feel extremely safe when they buy something like a ledger device. But what, what you have to keep in mind, like technically you're safer from hackers, but one day regulation is going to come knocking on ledger's doors in, in France. And they might not have our, you know, private keys, mnemonic phrases, but they have the public keys and a lot of people that that didn't properly um how do you say claim their gains they 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 might get in trouble so once one government does that a bunch of other governments are going to do that too and that's that's just the thing with public uh public blockchains a lot of people don't realize the problem that a public blockchain can create when you when you connect it to somebody's identity that must be why satoshi uh disappeared because in his eyes the bitcoin all the bitcoin that he mined they are worth zero because um it's a public blockchain and everybody's watching where they're gonna move and uh, when it comes to Monero, um, it serves a much higher protection, almost impossible, um, to identify the person. So, um, when, when it comes to public blockchain, this, this is not just for Monero, for Bitcoin. This is for any cryptocurrency that uses a, a public blockchain. Uh, a lot of people could get in trouble, so, I just wanted to emphasize that to, to the listeners because a, a lot of people are not aware of it. Um, a lot of trouble could be um, uh, uh, avoided if people had read Satoshi's white paper, the privacy section especially. It's it's the easiest part to to understand, basically. What he proposes is to have a public blockchain, but cut off the connection to uh, somebody's identity. And a lot of people don't don't pay attention to that. So the public blockchain was only useful 
if we followed that privacy section by the word like Satoshi mentioned. But as you can see nowadays, 99% uh, of the market uses exchanges and it's not how it was designed to be. That must be why he disappeared and the uh, Bitcoins that he mined, uh, I don't know how many thousands uh, that, that he might have mined, but I think in his eyes they're worth zero because it's a public blockchain. I just want to point out, I mean, first, those are amazing points. The the idea of Ledger, first of all, um, yes, they do have the public keys to private to your to your um, cold storage wallet, um, and they could pull them from the companies uh, from Trezor and Ledger uh, if they wanted to. And all of your transactions on Ledger Live or the Trezor version, like those are, that is all stuff they could have. And can you imagine if you lose your private keys? it's possible you'd owe taxes on money that you don't even have the access to anymore. That would absolutely suck. Um, so uh, just something else to keep in mind. Um, also, Satoshi could be a woman. Why does everybody think that this is a man? Could totally have been a woman. Uh, there's no reason to think that, that Satoshi wasn't a woman. Yes, it was crypto bro culture. Could have been somebody stealth. <laughs> just want to say, could have been a woman. Could have been a woman. Yeah, exactly. Could have yeah. been a woman. <laughs> I, I could have said he, she, or they. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I've seen some documentaries talking, uh, like, where they go over and study the way Satoshi used to write. And it's, uh, it's, it's, the, his writing is very consistent to what a man would write. But I think you're right. We, we shouldn't say, uh, he, he, uh, we should, probably say they, because we don't know if it's one person or multiple people. For sure. Um, but, I mean, and I'm just teasing you about, but that is something that I just want people to assume, not assume that anybody who creates something that's truly, you know, different in the world uh, has to be a guy. There is kind of an assumption, a default assumption, and it doesn't have to be that way. But um, the one thing that I thought was fascinating about this, and I was just thinking about it, as you said it, is that it's true. We didn't actually enable all of the parts of this vision that were, that were laid out. And this often happens. Like, um, the U.S. economy is based on a, a series of documents and, um, and actions, uh, primarily by Alexander Hamilton. And it wasn't enacted in full. And it's the same thing also with the U.N. and these other, we have a lot of entities that are half done. And the problem is most of these things work together in unison. The, the, the full system is based on um, a united vision. And we, we take something piecemeal and then, and we call it done and, and wonderful, but we didn't really consider the rest of it. Like the U.S. is not supposed to operate in a debt economy. Like this is actually something that was specifically provided for um, by uh, uh, Hamilton's original papers is that we had to have a sinking fund. So we had debt originally fifty thousand dollars, twenty five thousand from his bank, um, and the original fifty thousand dollars was supposed to have a matching sinking fund to pay it off because we needed to build credit, but we didn't need to build debt. The function of the debt economy, like nobody ever put in that sinking fund, unfortunately, and that's how we started working in a fully uh, debt-based economy, which is, um, which again, this, the structures of the economy 
uh, don't work with that particular structure. That's, this is a problem. Like if you, if you enact only part of it, you really do need to think about what are the parts that you're not enacting and what are the implications on what you want to enact if you don't have those parts in? What have you fundamentally changed? There are zero systems that you haven't fundamentally changed because you haven't impact, you haven't enacted the entire system. I got a bunch of people hopping up here. Uh, Zaptosis. Take it away. Nostrum. Hold on. Yeah. So Alex, I was interested in your um, thoughts earlier on crypto privacy and the benefits of a public ledger, ledger blockchain. I was wondering if you'd want to circle back to that for a bit. Um, on the, like the, whether or not privacy should exist on a, on a public blockchain. Well, yeah, you just mentioned some of the benefits of government audibility and the adoption of it. Yeah. I mean, um, so, uh, do I don't, I don't know how, like my thoughts on, um, on whether or not privacy should exist. I think the problem, uh, that we have, and this is actually the problem of any value-based system that involves people with anonymity is that people, um, act differently when they believe they're not accountable. So I think a system that doesn't have accountability in it somewhere um, tends to be a flawed system and it encourages bad actors. So I think that um, there has to be some check in the system where uh, people are at least understand themselves to be accountable um, in order to to not behave badly. Now, that is not actually something that has to do with privacy coins, blockchain. I mean, it happens in cash as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm curious, who do you think should be responsible for that check? Would you say it's the government? No, I, I generally, I don't think the government should be responsible for checks. Okay, okay. What I think should happen, I mean, honestly, this is something that is fundamentally impossible. I wish people were better actors, and that mm-hmm. is useless wish, right? What I want is for people to just say, yay, I can act the way that I want, um, but I will still be accountable to my, you know, legal and moral obligations, right? And now, I, I think that in terms of accountability, the issue is actually greater on a public ledger blockchain because you need to, um, the, the notion that it's better in terms of um, reducing harm is predicated on the idea that everyone who has access to that blockchain and the financial records has your best interests at heart and won't do anything wrong because anyone who sees those transactions can get information about you. They can see who you're donating to. And that's not just our government. That's, that's a Chinese communist party. That's going to be the Russian authorities. That's going to be, um, Iranian officials trying to crack down on their citizens. So anytime you're on a public ledger blockchain, you are entirely dependent on the trust of everyone within that system. And that's where I see the big flaws. Well, that and, I mean, it's not even just the government that can see every transaction. Everybody can see everything. Yeah, everyone. Hackers in Russia, everything. And and that's actually how they're figuring out what to attack. So, you know, they wait and see, like, there's ones that have backdoors that were installed by bad actors, and they wait until, you know, the the application with money and so they're watching the transactions happen so yet all bad actors whether they are in the government or not um you know are able to see your transactions and if we had only private ledger systems actually you know what truthfully private ledger systems would help in terms of being able to um to stop uh i mean you could actually have a zero 
you can have a, uh, a zero cost system. Why do we have something that has a transaction fee that has to be uh, anything over zero? Because of spam and things like that, right? The ability to use this, the transactional channels to create unwanted transactions that have nothing, that have no value involved. So we have to make it have some cost in order to have uh, that system continue. But if there was no ability to do that, then we can have free transaction costs theoretically, right? So I, that might be another benefit actually of a, a set of purely private transactions. The issue really is, okay, for if everybody is able to conduct purely private transactions, will we, can we trust that the big risk is that they do not contribute their fair share to maintaining the society in which they live, which is usually taxes, right? So can we trust that people will, uh, will pay their taxes? And if they don't, is there a way for, um, for that issue to be forced or will people just then have, uh, no taxes that are paid on? Yeah. Like, could you then not move to like a VAT system where the taxes are taken out prior to it moving into the system? Do you know what I mean? Like there's basically. Yeah, I think the issue is the complexity involved in making these systems, because then how do you program in who is the beneficiary of a blockchain wide tax on a decentralized system? And these are issues that are going to be very difficult to solve without a degree of control, which reduces the value of blockchain. And I think in terms of privacy, there are a lot of issues that come with being absolutely private. I don't deny that there are people who I know people who've been scammed in crypto. And, you know, even even with other cryptos, it's private enough that it's difficult to find them. But I think Churchill put it best about democracy on his quote that has been said that democracy is the worst form of government, except all the others that have been tried. And I think the same can be said about Monero. There's definitely issues that arise when you have privacy, but there's no other system that is better than absolutely private unless you want to make something that's extremely complicated and prone to errors, which we've seen with other cryptos and, you know, being hacked because there is an exploit in the blockchain's code or decentralized organizations that had some sort of flaw. Um, I think we need an extremely simple crypto which is what Monero does very well and there's not really any other alternative that is better we can we can say what about this problem what about that problem and then we need to ask what other solution do we actually have so i mean wait i'm getting into this is actually a really interesting thing what if the problem of compliance with um with whatever value is exchanged what if the problem really is our tax system what if we switched that? We really could. Wait, this is actually something that I think would make sense, right? You don't need to track how much someone has if you tax on a, on whatever they're purchasing rather than their income, right? If we change to more European system, could this function so that you had actually, um, of the ability to pay taxes because look i'm not going to be for anything that involves evading taxes or evading regulations in general because that's you know look man i'm a former regulator but also yeah taxes pay for schools and things like that i have kids i like education i like and for wars what and for wars 
And what? And for wars. I mean, but... Yeah, they pay for wars. Yes, it's true. But I'm looking at it from a, like, I mean, I think roads are good. I think, you know, having, uh, you know, other, like, you know, taxes and things like that are, I think, I think I'm not, I'm not opposed to them. So my, I would, I would actually agree with you on taxes. Um, I would say I'm a libertarian, not an anarchist. So I would see the value in some degree of government, just minimal as possible. So I do see the tax argument as a valid one. Um, the issue I would say is, do we need to compromise the privacy of a system or reduce its uh, decentralization to have this? Because cash, cash is anonymous, but the government still has methods for going after tax evasion. Just because you're accepting crypto and payment doesn't mean you don't have to justify the purchase of a million dollar home. So there's still existing tools that the government has to combat tax evasion, which they've been using for uh, for centuries, because until m- relatively recently in modern history, we haven't had a tr- system that was completely tracked that the government had records to without coming to you personally. And if you said to the government, screw you, I'm not giving you my financial records and you violate a court order, well, you're in contempt of court. So there's these existing systems that they've had for for a long time that are completely usable in a Monero based economy. And I don't see that. I don't see the need to compromise privacy um, justifying, or I don't see taxation justifying the need to compromise privacy when we have these systems. No, I, I totally agree. I actually am just thinking, like, what if we taxed it differently so that you don't even have to look at the transaction itself? It's basically just shunted off at the very, at the time of the transaction, and then we're done with it, period. You don't have to look at, uh, what any individual holds. So there's no reason to track the ultimate, you know, holder of a transaction or user of a transaction. You basically are just, you're just, uh, the transaction itself is separate as long as the tax is paid. And it's at the beginning of the transaction instead of at the end of a series of transactions based on your holdings. So I feel like that would actually work with a privacy chain. Um, and it wouldn't disturb the privacy at all. Because it, there's no need to look into someone's holdings. So that means that there's no need to investigate the endpoints of these transactions, provided there was no illegal activity that occurred. So, I mean, I think that would actually, that might work. But it's a really interesting argument. I really like that you brought this. Um, I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. Yeah, the, there's another question you have to bring up as well. Like when someone transfers money between his own accounts through using a crypto um, you know, uh, blockchain, you know, suddenly he's taxed for transferring his own money to his own accounts. That, that would be kind of weird. Oh, you're not actually. And you wouldn't be under, a, um, under a VAT system either because it's based on what you've purchased. Simple transfers don't get taxed, but they don't. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I see, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. How do you differentiate between a purchase and a transfer? That's see if it's all private, you, you have to have some way of differentiating from that and that would, generally um, remove privacy in that sense? Um, well, not for merchants. So if you're purchasing something, right, uh, if you're selling something or purchasing something, so let's say just a traditional merchant, that merchant has an inventory list and says something like is, you know, is sold or whatever, and they have to turn those in anyway. They always, like, there's no system where 
you don't have accountability on the side of merchants of what they've sold uh, and um, and how much money that they've made. But the 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 trick here is that they don't you don't need to know who they sold it to, and you don't need to know like where the money came from necessarily as long as it didn't involve money laundering. So um, so there isn't a they what they do is they match against. Uh, the other party. That's most of these systems are matching against other parties. Here, with an income tax system, you match against employers or ways that you may have generated revenue. But in a non-income-based um, uh, uh, system, you're just matching basically sales of goods and services to uh, to tax payments that are made. And they just want to see like, well, if you sold something and we didn't get a tax on it, now we're, we know that there's a tax evasion. But well, it's a different set of matching. Well, not necessarily because business to business transactions usually are, uh, have no taxes. Uh, so that's, you know, there's a little gray area there. Business to business. Transactions have no taxes. Yeah, I'm a business. I'm not an end user. Let's say I'm a business. I'm selling something to another business, which is then going to sell something to an end user. When I sold something to that other business, um, I, I didn't charge them any tax, and uh, they didn't pay me any tax. But when they sell it to the end user, they're going to be charging the end user a tax and paying that to you know to whichever entity they're supposed to. Uh, well, then probably wallets would have to be identified if they were wholesalers, although wholesalers do tend to pay tax, but a lower tax. Alex, I um, I see the merit, and I, like, I agree with you. There's merit in a consumption-based tax model. The issue is the complexity needed to do this on a decentralized blockchain. So there's the issue, who does the tax go to? How do you... How does a government make an account without having control over, over other users? Now, how do you identify businesses to business transactions? Then you need some way to monitor these transactions. And then how do you um, – there, there's so many systems that go into place that would compromise the privacy. And then additionally, the amount you pay in taxes, that would have to be some sort of public record, which would mean that your transaction amount – is now also visible on the blockchain. So to have all these systems, you'd be creating something very, very complicated that also compromises privacy. Because to say there's going to be a tax based on the purchase amount, so it's going to be a, a sales tax of 15%, that means they need to know 15% of what. So we now need to make transaction amounts public. We need to identify business accounts versus consumer accounts. And what's just stopping everyone from making it? I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm a business account. I'm going to make a business, business crypto wallet. So there now needs to be some central entity in uh, regulate or policing that to make sure people aren't lying. Otherwise, no one's going to pay taxes. And this just becomes an incredibly complicated system that is going to be very difficult to implement into a decentralized cryptocurrency. And we need to kind of pay attention to what the technology is needed to make this and keep that in mind when we're discussing what's, what our policy is going to be. And looking at all that, I'd have to say that we really do need a system of trust where people are reporting their own transactions to the government. Um, because our current system is based on trust. Yes, they can audit you, but they can't audit everyone. So. I think it's important that we preserve that. So who thought that this was going to be a tax discussion today? That's so funny. Um, I love it. I think it's awesome. But who thought they were going to get into a Monero room and talk it's, about taxes? It's, really it's, it's Monero. It's Monero. All, all roads but, lead to taxes in Monero. <laughs> that is true.
I mean, I still think that there's a way to basically you could do something like have a different type of wallet for particular businesses to identify themselves. But that doesn't have to be your only wallet. Right. Like you can have a personal wallet or something like that. I think there's a way around it. it yes, it's going to be complex and complicated, but all economic systems are. And I think if it's worth building, it's worth dealing with, you know, some of this complexity and, and building a system that actually has, um, you know, the the ability for, you know, police and stuff and, and, uh, and uh, school teachers and stuff to exist. Uh, if you have kids, you know how important teachers are. They take your kids away and somehow make them learn stuff, which is awesome. So I always want to pay teachers. Um, but, um, but these are, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting system that I would be, um, I would be interested in kind of trying to kick around how exactly this might be able to function simply because the value is so extreme. Like there's so much value in a system like that, that I think that it would be worth exploring simply because the, the, you know, like, uh, you know, the NEV, right. The, uh, but it, it's, it's really high. It's a really high value system. So, um, anyway, but you know, we're not in office or in power. We can't like, you know, enact these things, but I do think that the value of it is, is extraordinary. So, um, that's just my personal opinion. You'd run into a lot of issues regarding location based on transactions as well with your model crypto, because I, let's say I live in a state that doesn't have sales tax or I live in Puerto Rico, um, which they only have a flat rate 4% tax um, based on income. You're, you're going to have many issues where, so, you know, you know, you're going to try to charge tax based on someone's purchase. You know, it, it, you can, you can, then you're tracking where they live. You're tracking where, you know, it's, there's a lot of privacy concerns with that. You, you have to monitor all that. That that brings in a lot of issues there. Um, you know, the best thing that the, the U.S. government can do is make a flat rate tax for everyone and take or every state make a flat rate tax and then take away the federal tax. And then the states pay the federal government. So this like, you know, Puerto Rico flat rate tax, they pay some money to the federal government. Right. But I don't pay. You know, I live there uh, more than six months of the year. I don't have to pay anything to the IRS. So. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, you know, uh, checks and balances you have to go through with that. So interesting points. Stop pooping on my model, man. But yeah. <laughs> stop, stop showing weaknesses. What are you doing? No, it's true. That's a very good point. I mean, f fundamentally, I think Zeptos has kind of touched on this. What What is, you know, so the best argument for living in a world uh, where everything is perfectly taxable is, is that, you know, taxes are good and everybody should be taxing and we should be get, should be getting fairly taxed. Um, but I mean, there, there's obviously very strong arguments as to why we wouldn't want to live in a world where governments can automatically deduct all our taxes without the, uh, you know, the citizen deciding whether or not uh, taxes are owed in that situation. It kind of comes down to, uh, preserving people's right to, to, to protest, uh, against government, right? Cause it gives them, I mean, we, you know, we, we talk about mass surveillance and, you know, the, the power that governments, uh, are, are gaining from it. Uh, but imagine a world where they have the ability to, uh, instantly tax anyone anywhere when they think that they're owed that tax uh if that's not ultimate tyranny i, I don't know what is right yeah they already harass people 
uh, with the current system, imagine with the what with what you're envisioning. So, I mean, what what would be a better way of formulating the argument as to why, uh, or what would be the best way to formulate an argument as to as to why it wouldn't be ethically correct, you know, right for a government to have this ability to instantly tax anybody at will? Well, so governments do have that right, to be honest. Um, but uh, that is actually something that is, you know, part of the tax and spend power, right? Um, so as long as there's any rational justification, they, 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 at least in the U.S., right, they have that they have that ability to do that. And that is actually the number one cause of war is to increase tax base. Um, and that's which is. Yeah, but uh, never, never to the point where they could, uh, you know, where, where all transactions are being perfectly monitored and taxes are just being assessed by, you know, a, a program, an algorithm that's just, you know, taking tax out as transactions happen. Well, so from the government's perspective, the biggest cost that they have in tax is collection. And the biggest part of collection is actually figuring out attribution, like how much someone owes all the time. So there's always imperfect collection. And that means that they are not taking in the amount of taxes that they're owed. And so that is for state, local and federal government, it's the same thing. They're always trying to figure out where the shortfalls are and how to get it from people. And it would actually, oddly, reduce the size of government if you um, had some sort of automated process. However, I am fundamentally opposed to the um, ability of the person with more power um, having any sort of automatic ability to assess anything against a person with less power, which is why I think the way credit reporting is done is completely flawed. I don't think that it's the company that decides that they, that you owe money and they get to automatically put it on there. And then you, as the person with no power who has to call 27 times, have to say, no, you're wrong. You have to take that off. Um, it shouldn't be the individual's responsibility. It should be the, the business's responsibility to justify why it gets put on, not the individual's responsibility to take it off. Right. That is the same thing. Like, I don't want the government saying, um, you know, like we're taking this money and then individuals who have far less power than a government have to go in and say, no, no, I want that money back. Um, that is very, very difficult. So I'm fundamentally opposed to that kind of a, um, an argument. Although, you know, I see the government perspective of like, people aren't paying. What do we do? We people aren't paying. We end up in debt all the time because we have an amount that we're supposed to collect and we can't collect it because people don't pay. But at the end of the day, you know, weighing the difference between having a fully funded government that has, you know, of the ability to, you know, theoretically do more in society versus an individual's rights to protect their own assets. I mean, I'm in this community. Of course, I come out on like, I think it's better to have for individuals to have their rights and have a, a, an underfunded system then you know then uh then erode personal rights i just think that there's some middle but rights. i don't think that more money is good like i think the government already has too much money i mean for example the afghanistan war costs like 20 trillion and they achieved nothing and they killed lots of innocent people and like i mean even on the last day of the invasion they they used the drone to bomb some random people that were just uh aid workers basically and I mean, I think the government needs to explain clearly why it's legitimate to charge all this tax, to do all this crazy stuff that doesn't work. So maybe we just, we should just try a new system that 
uh, works better we're not like some large entity collects all uh, kind of money grows bigger and bigger and then fails at everything remember um payroll taxes was only made in world war Two for specifically for the war effort and it was supposed to be temporary now it's you know permanent for some reason all taxes start off as temporary <laughs> You know, our subsidies for wheat and soy and corn were started in the Depression, and they were supposed to last for 10 years. So, um, and that was, you know, what, 1934, I think, is when they started. It's been more than 10 years. <laughs> but why do you think we have so many wheat? And, like, the only reason that ethanol exists is because of the corn subsidies. And then the only reason that we have, um, you know, things like high fructose corn syrup is because we have so much freaking excess corn. So, um, yeah, everything starts off as temporary. Uh, although tax breaks for anybody but the wealthy uh, all tend to be temporary. So we got one in the Relief Act. There was a um, there was a tax break, but it, it expired at sunset. Um, but the tax break for the wealthy is uh, permanent. So, um, you know, I have lots and lots of issues of like how disproportionate things are. Like, honestly, if 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 the government just worked to uh, tax more people at like, say, you know, over, uh, you know, a hundred million in assets, like just to collect everything that that's owed, that would actually cover most of it, to be honest. Well, there's another way you can do it, though. If the government um, uh, was collecting less taxes, basically they charged less taxes percentage, more people would be inclined to pay their taxes uh, rather than withhold them. Right. Because then they they'd be like, oh, well, now I can afford to pay taxes. I might might join that pool if the if the tax was like at a three percent or four percent flat rate across the board. But if it's, you know, um, 20 something percent from the federal government and then you live in a state of California, New York, where they're charging you their own 20, 30 percent tax, you know, you know, people try to avoid that. So. Alex, um, you did say that all taxes start off as temporary, and uh, I think that that's sadly true for one reason. Um, that's because people don't pay their taxes, and what I mean by that is they don't understand the gravity of paying taxes the way that you would if you're self-employed. Um, they get it taken off their paycheck automatically. Um, their their employer handles it. Um, if people have to save money at the end of the year, they have to keep money in a pool and then pay thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to the government, if they would have to do in a private decentralized system like Monero, then I feel like that is what allows tax laws to change. Because we can say all day and night that taxes should be lower. People might pay more if taxes were lower. But the question is, how do we get there? And I think that most people won't wake up to the issues of taxation um, enough to change policy and vote people in unless they understand the gravity of taxation. And for that, we need a transparent system. And I don't think automatically taking money from people and trying to sweep it under the rug, don't worry about it. This is just, oh, it's 15%, oh, it's 20% now. I think we need a system where people have to save up money for tax, and then maybe they, they spent the money, and they're like, oh, crap, I need to start saving money. The government's coming after me. I'm in debt. And then when they understand the gravity of taxation and how much the government actually takes from them, it will become a bigger issue that they will actually vote for, and this is how policy will change. I think that the government has in a large way tried to make people ignorant of how much they're actually paying on taxes by making it as automated and frictionless as possible and keeping it out of their mental consciousness.
I think it's a fair point. I think if more people are going to see it because, you know, the number of people that are required to power any economic engine is uh, decreasing over time, right? Automation is, is here and uh, and it's moving up the food chain. It's not just, you know, lower end, uh, you know, line workers that are getting taken over by automation. It's all sorts of stuff, right? Including coding. So um, I think, you know, as over time, we're going to see that that company employment is is going to be rarer and rarer, right? So more people are going to be either on their own or forced to figure out some other secondary economy in order to um, in order to survive. Um, and I think it is a wake up call, right? Uh, for those of us who've been kind of working on our own for a while, um, you know, we've experienced it. But there is that first jolt where you're like, "What the hell? How much?" Yeah, yeah, there, there definitely is. Yeah. I mean, now, you're, like, you're not looking at a line item. You're looking at like, I got a what? <laughs> how is how so, so would you say it's important that tax tax transparency depends on people paying taxes themselves? Is that something you would you would agree with? I, w- I would certainly agree with that. I would certainly agree with that. The act of looking at uh, your own tax bill and having to write out that check makes uh, gives for a very different perspective on taxes, I think. So, so if that's how, if that's what's needed to actually understand taxes and be trans, for the government to be transparent, would you say that the only, that it would be wrong to have a system of automated taxation where they collect it based off the sales tax? Shouldn't people be forced to calculate the taxes themselves in, in the system that we currently have in Monero where you report your own income? Well, I mean, the problem with report your own income is that people don't always do it. But, but if, uh, I don't know that, I mean, automated, it could still be that, you know, you see the amount that goes, um, you know, so they don't see it collected in one. But in you one, can, yeah, you can still see the amount that goes right now by looking at your at your paycheck and seeing what was taken off, though. That's that's the current system we have that I think we're, we're discussing is how it's flawed and how it's non-transparent for most people. I mean, so I don't know that that auto taxing, um, you know, when you you see the amount that goes like, is it better to see it all collected at the end of the year? For sure. Can you do that even if it's auto paid? Yes. Are people likely to look at it as much if they don't have to physically write out, you know, a check or or send money or something like that, as opposed to just saying, you know, like right now, how much do we actually look at the tax on a receipt where it's available? You can look at it. But the tax is, you know, it's listed on the receipt. How much do we really consider how much of our purchases go to tax? Uh, we consider it very little, I think. Um, you know, do I, I, I don't know, honestly. Is it a bad idea to auto tax? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think, right auto, that, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I think that auto taxes, the, the main issue is yes, while the government can get their money, it's, I, even though it's not feasible to implement with blockchain, at least in a system that is decentralized and operates like gold in which Monero would as a medium of exchange, not as a store of value, but, you even ignoring the technical natures or technical issues, I think that um auto taxation removes people's personal responsibility because when you have to save money for taxes and when you don't save all the money and you owe a big chunk and you're stressed out, that that struggle and that dealing with those problems makes you better understand the system. And I'm I'm saying that without people having the personal responsibility to deal with taxes themselves and not ha- themselves and not have something take care of it for them 
is what makes for a transparent tax system. And without that, um, it's ripe for abuse through the ignorance of the masses. That's true. I mean, I guess, I, you know, I agree with you. I think that there's just problems in any particular system. Do I like, I, you know, we have issues. My husband's a partner in a practice and, um, you know, and, and I look at this and think, and I, you know, I have, um, I have had my own, uh, company for quite a while, but I'm also CLO of a platform. So, um, so I have both sides, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But, but it's, you know, it, it really, what really sucks, honestly, is looking at what's available to reduce tax for most people. Mm-hmm. So looking at the tax bill is one thing. Feeling like there's no way out of it unless you own a house or you have, you know, you haven't maxed out your 401k, like the avenues that are available to most people to reduce their tax bill is what I think is fundamentally problematic. Like I'm thinking about like our taxes of like what, what are the things that have in the past like pissed us off about it? Um, aside from, you know, like I don't, re- I don't resent paying taxes. What yeah. I re- is um, is that, you know, some people have access to, uh, better ways of, um, of reducing their tax bill than I do because they have more money. But at the same token, I have ways, you know, my husband and we have ways of reducing our tax bill and some people have no way of reducing it. Like if you can't afford a house, your tax deduction ability has vastly decreased as soon as that happens it has vastly decreased so what does our tax system do right now the number one thing it does is promote uh home ownership in a and, very, very low stock environment yeah and if, if we wanted to fix that system i'd say that you know we, we do need to go back to where people are actually involved in their taxes and you know you just said there are a lot of issues in terms of collection and with with a system based off of people self-reporting but I think we have to go back to um, that Churchill quote adopted to Monero. So it's like, it's been said that Monero is the worst form of crypto, except all the others that have been tried. Yes, yeah, so there's going to be issues. There's always issues with every system. But I would say Monero is undisputably the best crypto. And, you know, yes, there's issues with taxes. There's going to be issue with uh, collection. Are people going to report everything? Do some people go into debt because they, they spent all their money? Um, yes, there's, there's issues with every system, but you can't have, um, I'd say there's no system that is more, gives you more freedom and liberties than Monero while also still, um, being the best for the economy. Guys, this, this has been an amazing, uh, conversation you guys are having right here. I, 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 I like, uh, my favorite point of Alex's is that perhaps in, in a system that's auto, Taxing would, would uh, essentially lead to smaller government through through ways of efficiency. I think that, that, that's an interesting argument. This would be a good panel to have at Monerotopia. Uh, I'm enjoying this. Septosis, good job, man. Good points. Yeah, thanks. Maybe maybe got to fly down to Mexico. Um, Definitely have to fly down to Mexico. We'll, we'll get you down there. Okay. Uh, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I think it's awesome. I think that this is like a great. I wish this discussion was actually broader and we could talk about it in terms of like, you know, all the different things that happen, um, like what impacts the amount of money people have and what things can crypto fix, what things can't it fix, 
what can be even be fixed? Maybe some things can't be fixed, but this kind of economic discussion, I think, is what um, is most likely to power real change because people can think about things in a different way and maybe come up with solutions that they wouldn't have thought of before. I think it's amazing. I think that these are great points. I think that, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm literally trying to come up with a model on the fly. It doesn't work, clearly. By the way, <laughs> you know, but, you can... uh, but it's fine. <laughs> so, um, I think, um, Nos, Nos Transka had something to say earlier and I don't know if I talked uh, over him or her and I apologize. Yeah, we got a few people that are looking to talk. Uh, Nostranska, go ahead. Yeah, it was funny to hear you talk about taxes and Monero. Um, what I was, what I was about, about to talk about was simply that an event that happened a couple of, I said, a couple of months ago, that was, um, uh, tornado cash coming down. And I was thinking that you, 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 um, a lot of people talk about the US government and regulation. That was what sparked my interest to join. And the problem is that many of what you're talking about is in many ways irrelevant because if the government just press a button and you're gone, basically. And what are you going to do? The, the, the problem today, I'm, I'm a little bit a part of, you know, the Bitcoin Cash community, more so, more so than Monero, but you stand in, they have the same problem fundamentally at some point. And Monero, when we talk about, you talk about taxes, what you really are talking about is not Monero in, in itself. You talk about fiat currency, which is where the value, unfortunately, of all cryptos derived from. And all cryptos today, really, is going to be reliant on um, CBDCs, which has already now been tested. At some point, you will come to the conclusion that I have that crypto in itself, for most of it, has no value in itself. Uh, BCH is probably, and I'm going to talk a little bit, is the closest because they are building, you know, economical systems now with ATMs and stuff like that. And you are having bigger problems thinking of relying on an American state and talking about taxes. What are you going to do if the American government says, eh, Monero, bye-bye, press a button, as they did with the tornado cash? What are you going to do? Nothing, really. Nothing happened afterwards. More than one dude got arrested. They showed no evidence of it. They just said that, oh, some North Korean hacker did this, this, and this, and that was the end of it. So I think that crypto of today should actually start to see a life without fiat currency and without the American state or the Western at all. Because the problem is that they do not want you. And at some point, the bigger you get, the more influences you're going to have, at some point they're going to just press the damn button and say, no, no, you can't use this and be gone. That has already started with Monero, and it will get worse, and it will happen to Bitcoin Cash, and it will happen to all of them. And questioning about taxes, mm, I would go more into how are you going to answer the problems you're going to face, and that is what happens when they try to nuke you. That is inevitable is going to happen. That would be a much more interesting way of, of seeing it. Taxes and crypto 
not really something that I would talk about. I'm sorry to say it. It was an interesting talk, but I find it a little bit irrelevant in many ways. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we, we talk all day about how Monero is unstoppable. Like, you know, we, we have those conversations all the time. Um, I think, I think it's, it's well worth the discussion, discussion about the practicality of things and, well, you know, what, what a Monero world looks like, uh, in balance with, you know, the government as it currently stands. So I, I don't think it's a waste of the time by, by any means, but totally hear your points, man. I think most people, uh, in this room would tend to agree with you, myself included. We're here to build unstoppable tech. Uh, it's not really, we're not really concerned about what governments think about it. Uh, they're going to have to learn to work with it, but I think it's a, a great conversation to have. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I want to really thank uh, Alex for coming on. This has been like a really good, uh, Monero talk that's been super awesome just to get like a, a perspective from someone who's like really knows a lot about regulation and, uh, in has been in that space. Um, I especially like the tax. Uh, discussion that was awesome as well as, uh, uh, I wanted to mention that inflation in itself is like a pretty optimal form of tax for a government. You know, if there really was only one government and we sort of trusted them decently, they could just implement like an inflation tax, say like 10% a year. And like, that's how they would pay everything. It would just be, there'd just be, you know, equal, super easy to enforce, be very low cost to enforce as well. You know, you're just collecting 10% from everyone per year and then, uh, you know, you're just printing whatever 10% of your money and then that's what your government gets for free to go spend on stuff. But they have to take it to the market. So the, the, uh, the market itself has some, uh, pushback and they can be like, oh, you know, we don't, we don't think the government's doing a good job. So we're going to require, uh, more money from the government. You know, I'm saying I'm a contractor that I work for the government and I say, I don't approve you guys anymore. I could just, um, charge them more money than I did last year, you know? Anyway, something to think about. Good points, good points. Guys, anybody else have any final points? I think we're going to wrap it up. I think Alex needs to get going soon. Well, I do. Uh, I do. I actually I got a phone call, so I missed a, whatever it was before GMS, but it was very nice. That, uh, thank you for the very kind statement. I appreciate it. Yeah, I was going to just say to uh, Alex, uh, an auto tax system, well, you know, you, you say the government might uh, – uh, like the entity might get smaller or might decrease in size, but I would think just the opposite. You know, based on history, when the when the government has something easy going, they're like, oh well, this was so easy, let's increase it, right? And let's increase in size. That's how you know it's been in the past. It hasn't, you know, you know, it hasn't changed. You're still pooping on my model, man. <laughs> no, but uh, but I mean, it's, it, it is true. So both facts could be true, right? So it is true that the majority of, uh, like, the more local you go, the more it's true, um, that the majority of, uh, of uh, gov like, there's a large chunk of government that is dedicated entirely to, um, to proper tax collection, which mostly is dealt with, uh, you know, with location, identification and location of, uh, of, tax that's owed and collection of it. And that's actually been true since the Domesday book of, you know, like the, uh, you know, post, um, what is it called? The Battle of Hastings, right? Like post-conquering, 
It's been true since then. That is the majority of government has been maintenance of the treasury. So, um, so if we can eliminate some of that, it is reasonable to expect that the government would reduce simply because that work wouldn't be required. On the other hand, you know, people in power like power. And we'd actually have a much better place. Uh, we'd be in a much better place if when people were building in this space, they reached a point where they realized things were going terribly awry. And they said, this isn't working. We can't pivot really in this space. So we're going to shut it down, distribute assets and try again. We'd actually be in a much better place if that happened. But why do we even get these scams? Why do we get these scandals that happen? I don't honestly believe that for the most part, there's a few exceptions, but for the most part, it's usually not people who go in saying, I'm going to make it into, you know, like this huge giant scam. What it usually is, is people start off with an idea and then they realize, oh crap, I can't fix what I'm doing. But instead of saying, this isn't working, we've reached the end point of this, we're going to distribute the assets that we have and then reboot, um, which has happened on one chain. One chain did that. But otherwise, everything else, uh, they just try to cover, 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 and then cover that cover, and then cover that cover. And that's where, you know, all the resources are misappropriated. It becomes this giant financial pyramid scheme. Things just fail. And that is, um, you know, so as much as I would like to say, sure, the government, you know, would then have no reason to be as large as it is, right? It wouldn't have no, there's no reason for it um, because all those collection people would go away. Um, you know, there's a reason why uh, the end of the year governments rush to spend any money that's left over so that it can be allocated again in the following year, as opposed to saying, I didn't spend this. Uh, let me give it back. Um, yeah, so, I- how many it's federal employees? I mean, it's true. They could, there's, there's incentive in, 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 there's no incentive in the government to maintain its size, but there is incentive in individuals to maintain yeah. it. How many federal employees do you think don't need to be federal employees right now within the whole federal system? How many? Of oh, them? I have no idea. I just know that the, like in the SEC, there's only 350 um, people there who are um, attorneys and um, and accountants. It's split between attorneys and accountants. There's like that's not nearly enough for the role that it has. Uh, so that's why you know it cannot. It's just impossible to stay on top of stuff. But uh, the ability to get funding for new people is impossibly hard. The ability to get funding for the IRS to hire new agents is very easy. And, um, and so it's, it's interesting to see where it's easy to get an increase and where it isn't. The ability to get additional agents for social security, which is payment out of the system, very difficult. The ability to get money for, um, for INS agents, actually quite easy. To get judges for INS, very difficult. So, I mean, it's really, it's interesting to see where the priorities are because the priorities are how easy is it to expand the role or to get more people to fulfill this job? Um, you know, and that I find like depressing. So how yeah. many people, I, I think it's not about how many people are in it. It's just that the roles that they're in, what, yeah, what there's roles- also, there's three branches of government dedicated to U.S. currency. There's the Secret Service, the IRS and the SEC. That makes no sense. So they're, 
I mean, they're not branches technically, right? They're all in the executive branch, but, um, but there are, there are different ones related to different aspects of currency and the SEC isn't related to currency at all. It's really just securities. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it is the, the roles that the, the individual bureaus make sense for the most part. The, the problem is that there's a lot of turf wars that happen. And when there's turf wars, there's a strong risk of overregulation simply because everybody has to pee a circle around it. And that is what we're getting a lot of right now. Like we got it originally in like, you know, after 9-11, the Department of Homeland Security, after it was formed, was literally involved in everything. And it's like, what do you have to do with, you know, commerce or what do you have to do with, um, SEC and it just was like adding rules in order to have another layer on top of whatever was going on because it wanted to say and we're seeing that happen a lot right now in the crypto scene. We're seeing like there's like five different agencies that are attacking each other and weirdly in public that never happens, but they're attacking each other and they're shooting down all these bills. Um, because they, they're really, really, uh, they're invested in making sure that that particular agency has superior control. Not realizing, of course, that, you know, soon none of that is going to matter because we're coming in with a different regulatory structure and, uh, it's all going to have to change anyway. But it's just, that is the part that is very annoying to me. Like I, the, I think the separation for, you know, for most purposes, it works fine. Like they're covering areas that I think the government needs to cover. It's just, they're so focused on making names for themselves, like so focused. It's, it's awful. It's really awful. I mean, it's a very highly politicized area and, oh man, I'm late. Um, but it's a, it's very, it's like, it's atrocious right now. And then we have the same problem in Congress where we have Congress people who are all trying to make names for themselves. And nobody's working towards the benefit of the people. Like, I don't really understand. Like, at the end of the day, don't we want, like, the country to function better? Shouldn't we all be working towards that? But no, everybody's, like, got their little piece of the pie that they're, like, determined to hold on to and, and make it grow. <laughs> it's, it's not. Yeah, positive. yeah. I think you're right that government, with all the agencies, government is very much incentivized to increase its power just because that's human nature. These people, they want to... They want to be the star of, I guess, the regulatory show. So I think that's just one of the incentives of government. And because of that, we need to check in. We need a system that naturally balances that. And I heard an interesting take from Seth for Privacy's podcast. It was a guest a while back. I don't remember his name, but he said, um, in the same way that the Second Amendment is, um, protection against, um, government tyranny, uh, I guess, to, like, tyranny in terms political tyranny uh financial privacy would be protection against uh financial tyranny from government and um doug one of your previous guests just the last podcast i think nick watts uh yeah you you mentioned he made a he has a book on tax it's taxation is slavery the biblical case for libertarian politics and i very much want to read that i just want to re-mention um it looks like a very interesting book from uh one of the previous speakers on the show I actually have to take should, off. Uh, Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, um, but oh, I'm going to take Alex, off. Yeah, Alex, thank you so much. Uh, hope to be in touch. We're going to send you a DM. Maybe we could get you down to, to Mexico City for Monero Topia. We'd love to have you participate in some way. 
Sounds awesome. I would love to. You guys have been amazing. I, I think that this is an amazing group. You guys are like informed and active and interested and I love it. I mean, honestly, you can't really ask for a better community. So, uh, great job, you guys. <laughs> like, great. It's really, it's, it's great. It's really super great. So, um, incredibly yeah. fun discussion. So, and you guys were so patient with my kid. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that. Now, now we feel bad. You feel bad for your, for your child over there. <laughs> she's, um, she's okay. She's, she was just, uh, she's just one of those days. Uh, she couldn't find one of her sweaters and it was just driving her crazy. Um, it was her purple elf sweater. If you guys heard about that, like it was just cause it has a hood, whatever. Anyway, you guys have been wonderful and, uh, and hopefully we'll, you know, we'll do this again. And Douglas, thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate yes. it. You guys are amazing. Zaptosis, I mean, loved the discussion. Fantastic. Greatly appreciated. Zaptosis, thank you so much, man. You too, man. Send me a DM. We can try to get you down to Mexico City. Uh, if you want to tweet out that, that book, uh, from the, the guest that was mentioning it last week, please do. I'll retweet it so, uh, people can see what you're talking about. I forgot about that as well. I'd like to take a closer look at that. Uh, guys, just a final reminder. We do this show every week. It's a live show, Monerotopia. Traditionally, we were doing it on YouTube. Uh, but now we're also simultaneously doing it here on Twitter spaces. So please tune in every week. More people that tune in, the more people we get to to come on and notice how amazing the Monero community is, like our, our guest said today. Uh, so thanks, everybody. Every week, 11 a.m. New York City time. See you then, guys. Ciao. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on this week's Monerotopia episode. We stream live shows every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube and Odyssey, or listen to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter or join us in the Monerotopia Telegram group. See you all next week.